You're listening to episode 137 of 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Chang. Am I doing this right? <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Yin Chang, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. Woo, that was a really long run on sentence. Hey, what's up, storytellers? We have a special bonus episode for you today. And guess what? This special episode was brought to you in support by FabFitFun. If you don't already know about them, they have seasonal subscription boxes filled with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Please hang around at the end of the show so I can tell you more about my own experience with their box and listen closely for the special discount code just for our storytellers. A special thank you to our listener, Chisholm, who recently left a five-star rating and a review for us on Apple Podcasts. He wrote, I didn't realize how much I needed this podcast. As I grow as a writer, it's helpful to get so many perspectives from authors, editors, and agents at various stages of their careers. I'm consistently inspired to better myself and not give up on the stories that I will someday tell. Yin is a fantastic interviewer, and the Facebook group really is a great place to interact with people on their writing journeys. Yin, salute to you. Prospective listeners, get into this. From a fellow writer in arms, Chisholm. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for that super sweet review. I am so happy to have you as a listener and also as a member in our private Facebook group. I wish you all the success and so much luck in your writing journey. Now on to the next part of our intro, I have a small favor to ask. I would love it if you would help our show with a financial gift. 88 Cups of Tea has brought soul-stirring conversations and stories to your weekly routine, from V.E. Schwab's episode that helped many of you through depression, to Lee Bardugo's episode that fired you up about the writing process, to Stephanie Garber's episode that made you feel less alone about your writing struggles, and Jeff Zentner's episode that empowered you to carve out time around a full-time job to write your story, and so many more episodes like the ones with Saba Tahir, Sarah J. Mass, Victoria Aveyard, Marie Lu. Kirsten White, Jerry Spinelli, and tons more. 88 Cups of Tea is independently produced by just me, and I am lucky to have an incredible volunteer who takes notes for a majority of our show notes pages, and she is just the best. To be fully transparent, it takes a lot of time, hard work, and money to produce, but I continue to produce it because I've seen how much this community matters to our listeners, and hearing directly from many of you about how we've made you feel less alone really makes me want to continue providing this space. I truly believe that the community we've created matters, and the stories from the people we highlight matters just as much. I've been so proud to work with sponsors we've had, but it's not always consistent as I make it a point to only work with those who align with our message, which limits the kinds of brands and companies we work with. The other times, the podcast is produced out of our savings, and I'm really hoping for 88 Cups of Tea to become sustainable and support itself so I can continue to produce our podcast and provide the community that comes along with the show. Many of you have written to me about light bulb moments and even life-changing epiphanies and how much our episodes like today's have helped you through some pretty rough times. For our longtime listeners, I have to thank each and every one of you who've been so encouraging about pushing me to set up a donation option and putting it out there. I produce each episode with a lot of love and care and pour my soul into our community so you have a space to root for each other every single day. When you contribute a financial gift, this also helps our whole community of storytellers. 
If you'd love to make a special donation to keep 88 Cups of Tea going strong, please head over to 88cupsofteacom slash support for all the best ways to help sustain us, including options of monthly or a one-time contribution. You'll also get a birthday shout out in the episode that releases during your birthday week. So be sure to let me know when your birthday is. The most sincerest thank you in advance for listening and contributing. Now on to our bonus episode for today. With the recent news of Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade's suicide, there have been quite a lot of things in my mind lately, and I understand how their deaths were triggering for many people. No one is immune to depression. It doesn't discriminate against income, gender, race, or anything else. When I come face to face with those really difficult days of not being able to see past the cloudiness, something that works really well for me is to pull up YouTube videos or podcasts that help me see outside of my perspective at that moment. There have been so, so many of you who reach out and tell me how much this podcast has been there for you, especially through the difficult times when you need an emotional and mental lift. I honestly do not know what it's like to be in your shoes, but I can understand a similar feeling. So today's special bonus episode, I am finally releasing my unedited three-hour-long conversation with V.E. Schwab. When we released the shorter edited version of her episode a year ago, every single one of you asked to hear the original interview because you loved how much our conversation lit a fire in you and pulled you through moments of depression and anxiety. Not only is this incredible human being now someone I consider a dear friend who I feel like I've known in another lifetime, but V.E. Schwab is also someone that our community looks up to when in need of real talk for strength and encouragement. I had to cut out one tiny section that was super personal, but other than that, this bonus episode is pretty much untouched. I normally don't release untouched episodes, but at a time like this, I feel it's important to share as it's something that may come in handy when you need it the most. You'll even get to hear the behind the scenes of how we started and ended our call, which is pretty fun. For those of you who are not familiar with V.E. Schwab, she is one of our most requested guests for the show and the number one New York Times, USA, and indie bestselling author of more than a dozen books. Most of you know her from the Shades of Magic series, where an Entertainment Weekly article describes her writing as addictive and immersive. Her work has received critical acclaim and has been featured by the New York Times. In this episode, we cover a whole lot about life and non-writing-related topics, including sexuality and tea, the fear of speaking, serial killers, etiquette camp, and S-Town the podcast. We, of course, discuss the creative process as well. And a bit more about what we cover over in the writing-related topics, we discuss why it's crucial to create as few parameters as possible around your writing, and how working with a flexible schedule and freeing yourself from a strict writing place helps with creative flow. She breaks down how she's able to read 100 books a year, and you'll be able to apply her tips to your own habits to up your reading game. We touch on reading different genres and styles of writing, and how that helps to strengthen your writing. For my craft-focused listeners, this episode is a dream. We unpack the differences in writing multiple genres, writing morally ambiguous characters, discovering the voices of your characters, writing multiple points of views, and we dive into writing query letters. I'm so excited for you to hear her episode. Now let's jump right in. Hi there. Victoria? Yes. Hi, how are you? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you too. Thank you so much for making time for our show on a family day. That's a big deal. <laughs> Pleasure. Honestly, it's one of those days when I'm actually in my apartment. So it's oh my less God, yes. which day of the week it is and more that like, am I in Nashville today? <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. I'm so I'm so happy we lucked out to get you on the show. And um, I let me know first off before we dive in, if you have a hard out time, just to make sure we get you out by because I 
realize it's 6 p.m. your time. And I nearly got confused and thought 6 p.m. my time. Um, Which so it's, time zone are you in? I'm in the Pacific uh, okay. Standard Time Zone. So it's 4 p.m. for me here. Oh, and no. then... <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, wait, I'm like, why is this reminder saying that I have an interview at four? And I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, that's Victoria's time zone. Holy <laughs> crap. Thank God I double checked. Um, so let me know if there's a hard out time because I know that this, this is usually dinner time. So let me know if there's like, um, no, fine. I have something super low cooking on the stove and I set it to a, to a way that like it shouldn't burn my house down. So hopefully it's fine. It's just heating itself up very slowly. But no, you're fine. Amazing. What are you cooking, by the way? Um, I made this chili last night in the Ooh. slow cooker, like a veggie chili. And then Ooh. I decided, you know what this veggie chili needs? It's like some ground turkey. Oh, <laughs> so hell yes. I, I sauteed up some ground turkey and now I'm letting the chili from last night heat with the turkey in it now. Okay. I'm pretty sure you already have this, but have you used crock pots? Oh yeah. It, w- it was in the crock pot last night. Okay. There we go. I was going to say. So now, it's, but now it's reheating on the stove and I should have just put it back in the crock pot, but I feel like <laughs> super lazy. Is this amazing? Like butternut squash and farro chili. Ooh, girl, that sound good. Yeah. I, I want Not, some like, of that. Lemon and chili powder and stuff in it, but it needed some meat. Okay. <laughs> that, a vegetarian. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm just like, I can eat veggies for only so long before I'm craving for some chicken at the very minimum or turkey. And it just gradually goes to pork and then exactly. beef and I had, you know. I had friends over last night we were eating it and I was like you know what this is missing and they were like what and I was like meat oh my god <laughs> like, fine but <laughs> that would be hilarious if your friends were vegetarians they'd be so offended oh my gosh like, just say, I have so many friends that are vegetarians and I still am like you know what this meal is missing like an animal oh my god are you serious I, I can't help myself and they're okay with a- that yeah I mean most of them like it's their own choices I don't have any friends who are like of the super preachy nature nice. like okay, I, lucky. I only like sustainable source my meat and stuff like that so like if I'm gonna eat meat I eat it right but I also am like teach their own you know I don't judge anybody else I think I have a lot of respect for for vegans but I find it very difficult to be a vegan myself let alone being a vegetarian so I I admire them I just I think if they if they do get super preachy I'm like eh not really yeah. my vibe or crowd of people to hang out with, but I'm out with anyone who's super preachy about yeah. anything. Yeah, so yeah I'm, I'm the same I'm way in the Bible belt. Like if you get preachy with me and I'm a pagan, right? I'm like, if you get preachy with me about anything, we're probably not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's like, all right, get the hell out of here. Bye. <laughs> See you another week. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I am the same exact way. It's so funny. And I'm like, even, you know, growing up, um, I grew up Buddhist. My family is Buddhist really? and yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to find Buddhism for myself. And I am grateful for what it's taught me to be very respectful and loving towards nature, animals, especially. But um, I feel like even with Buddhism, if anyone gets preachy within Buddhism, oh, that's it. Get the hell out of here, out of my face. That's the whole thing. I mean, like not to go off on like a super existential tangent before we even get started, but like that's kind of the whole thing with Eastern culture versus Western cultures is like, you know, Western culture, it's so external. And so because of that, it's so preachy. And what I love so much about um, like Eastern religions and philosophies, it's all internal. It should be a Mm. one-on-one experience between you and what you're doing, you know? Yes. It's very self-reflective. Yeah. Self-reflective. I don't know. And so like, I, for a long time thought like the closest thing that I probably align with, if not straight up paganism is Shintoism. Just because that makes total inherent sense to me. 
this idea of like there being gods in nature, like whatever is awe-inspiring. Yes, yes. It's so funny because even though um, we don't practice Shintoism, it's very, you can kind of see that within um, certain sects of Buddhism growing yeah. up. My mom is, is so funny where my my friends would be like, wait, why are you so like respectful towards plants and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Because we do believe there's there's spirits. And if, if not necessarily, you know, gods, yes, some people believe gods. And I could see how some of um, my family members do believe there are gods in nature, even yeah. in books, like certain spirits. They're like, don't ever disrespect books. If the book is yeah. on the floor, do not walk over the book. It's very. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if it's superstition. Maybe I, that I have to double check with my family. I mean, I'm sure it changes for, but I I mean, like, I think reverence is a pretty good way to go through life. Like just having reverence for the world around you in whatever form that takes. Yes. I feel like there's so, I don't know, in the Bible Belt, there's a whole lot of high horsing going on where it's just like (laughs) holier than thou. And I'm like, but but for real, like, are you really living that way? It's Um, it's easy to be like, culturally that way. I I do observe a lot of that, you know, even not, not growing up in the Bible Belt area, but in New York, even, you know, it's, it's, but I also see that in Buddhism, you know, like I do see less of it in Buddhism, but I still see it in Buddhism where I'm just like, um, like you're not as calm. Don't be, don't be scolding and yelling and raising your voice. Listen, Buddhism said, well, of course I pull this shit on my mom. And she's like, you listen here. I'm being your mom right now. Not about Buddhism right now. I'm like, okay, but you're telling me to be a good Buddhist, but you yelling right now, you better calm down. That's not what Buddha wants. So I have definitely used it to my, oh my God, it's really bad. Religion is inherently clickish, you know? So it's really easy to be like, whatever you're religion or philosophy is practicing it's easier to be like mine's obviously the best I know I will like as a pagan uh, and I study pre-christian mythologies and stuff it's real fun to just like look at like Christianity's in vogue right mm-hmm. but it's like 2,500 years ago it wasn't in vogue and so mm-hmm. like see people be like oh no like worshiping nature is stupid and you know mm-hmm. old-fashioned but like worshiping a dude in the sky is yep. totally like just legit yep Mm -hmm. And so I'm always, I mean, I'm just always caught by the hypocrisy of like, oh, you're a myth and I'm a religion. And like, and I'm like, but we do realize, right? These are just like different names for your exact same feeling. Yes, yes, yes. And to go along with that, you know, the myths and religion also, it's like meeting people who see um, certain religions as a certain trend as well and not respecting it even and, and putting in a way where they can understand how some people can see their religion as a part of their own lives and deities as, as people that they look up to. They see it as these, these like statues and also, and just having absolutely no respect and understanding oh, of, yeah. and I mean, seeing it like, Oh, you're a trend right now. Let, let me just wear like a, let me throw a La Buddha statue in yeah, my bathroom where statue. I take a shit, you know, and I'm like, like way yeah yeah right yeah, like all right you're gonna feng shui my ass right now let me tell yeah. you how many gr- ancestors i got that was teaching me about feng shui don't tell me about feng shui right now it's like you know, people who are like i have a buddhist statue in my home so i'm super buddhist and that's honestly like half the reason they say like i would align with shinto but i yes. don't feel like you know like i'm not japanese like i wasn't raised with it so like while i appreciate so many of the mm. concepts and yes. constructs of it i'm never gonna like claim it 
Yeah. Because it's not mine. Yeah. It's not mine. Like it's not something that is like culturally mine. I wasn't, I like have no entitlement to that whatsoever. Yeah. You know? But here's the thing though. Here's the flip side of it is if you ever do want to like study more, it's always yeah. of course encouraged as well. And, oh, yeah, and very absolutely. much like, as long as I think there's respect that comes towards it, even if you do almost want to claim it as your own, if there is a sort of uh, respect that comes along because I was shocked like I'm from New York and then I was most of my life raised in Long Island New York and there is this temple out there and I remember my mom came back and she's like oh, you won't believe it we saw that we met the head the head sifu which is the headmaster yeah. monk and guess what he's white and I was like <laughs> oh okay because it is shocking for us yeah. you know and it's like but it's funny too because Indi- in- in- India is where Buddhism was derived so it's like hello Chinese Taiwanese Malaysian people are Buddhist, so why can't you know Caucasian people? But then when my family was so excited, instead of like some members that might be like, oh well, they better know what they're studying and what they're preaching for Buddhism, um, especially because it's already a stereotype against Caucasians coming in. My family is actually very opposite. They're like, oh my gosh, they're embracing our religion. This is wonderful. I'm like, all right, chill out. Like I know that like my race is so much of the problem all the time that I'm just like I look around at like like the Gwyneth Paltrow syndrome where I just oh, am, dear, like yeah. I'm like I have it makes me so cringy because like I <laughs> I grew up and I I all through college studied East Asian cultures and religions Ooh. and I for a long time thought I was going to major in it and I'm just like on a just like on a soul level very very. Uh, like emotionally close to it like I love it I feel like obviously I believe in reincarnation for my mythos but like so I feel like at some point I have spent time there previously just because of how much I feel connected to it but because of that I'm extra cringy (laughs) when I like go to a friend's place and there's just like a random like Buddha statue right oh are you Buddhist and they're like no I got it at Pier 1 and I'm like fuck off bro like (laughs) seriously that's exactly how I feel like dude seriously no joke I see people having Buddhas in the bathrooms I'm like you're literally taking a dump you are literally having feces coming out of your butthole and Buddha is there like I don't understand like how much of like East Asian religions are based around like cleanliness and ritual and you're going to put that in a bathroom. Yes. Yes. I'm like, I would never disrespect. I'm like, I absolutely believe that there is, you know, Jesus and I would never, ever put a cross, even though I'm not, I didn't grow up Christian. Cross for the toilet. Yeah. I'm like, like, girl, I'm going to take a shit in front of Jesus. No. Atmosphere where you're like washing your hands and your face before entering a shrine and you're seriously like, oh God, it bothers me so much. I know I'm the same way, but I'm happy that we got to connect over this. Yeah. So thank you for this. This really, this like allowed me <laughs> so, to get a lot off my chest and I really appreciate it. <laughs> I just know that like I cringe, I cringe for my own people. Oh I my cringe. gosh, I love you. I You're so dope. All of my fellow white people not being respectful towards us. Because again, they're also the same people that would get on such a high horse if you appropriated a cross. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you, you know, had like a crucifixion in yep. your house. Mm-hmm. And you weren't, you know, you did it just because it was like, oh, like I got it. It's just cool and pretty or whatever. If I hung it upside down, it would be just as aesthetically pleasing, you know, yeah, yeah. like they're the ones that would be completely throwing fits about it. So yes, yes. It's only, I'm it's all true. about just mutual respect for whatever it is. I feel like absolutely what, like it's a one on one experience people have going on or they should. I think in the South, they don't. And that's the problem is it's like, girl. it's exactly, it's a whole, the, the respect needs to be there. The respect on both sides needs to be there. I love that. We totally just touched on yeah. that as soon as we got on the call. 
Okay, so Victoria, I I do I would love for listeners to get to know you more. And I, by the way, I have to let you know, and I'm I'm probably going to mention this again in the actual interview. But holy shit, like you got so many people in my community really riled up and real excited. Like lots of bookworm boners going around. I was like, (laughs) oh my lord, I'm like I'm being blinded right now. Holy crap! No joke. I'm like. Oh my God, how am I going to squeeze all these listener questions? This is going to be more than my own questions. I'm like, this is, this is I don't know if this is I'm, good. I'm this just so- glad that people turned up with questions. I feel like I just had to let you know that you have huge Aww. fans I'm in this community. Afraid. Seriously, they freaking love you. And I just thought <laughs> you just have to know before we start. Um, That's a nice ego boost for my Sunday. Oh girl, I mean, you'd be getting ego boosting all day, every day for the rest of your life. Cause holy moly, I don't see it slowing down at all. I'm just like, wait, oh my God. what? And, and yet I'm still afraid. Like I still operate from a place fear that it'll just go away are you serious right now okay let's not even start that oh hell no no No. it's it's like honest though I think people always like just make this assumption that it's false modesty but the fact is like this is a strange and fickle industry and I had a really rough start in it and so I'm like doubly triply grateful for every good thing that happens and for every reader I don't take any of it for granted you know what one of our listeners actually mentioned that um she actually didn't ask a question but she did mention it and I'm gonna read it to you later because I thought it was really touching about like she loves how transparent you are um and it really your journey gave her a lot of inspiration and hope for her own journey as a writer so it's because of your honesty that you have infect like you're so infectious for other people like they just ride off of that energy and that honesty and they carry it towards their own work and you'll see trust me you're gonna see with that's my hope because like it's hard to be vulnerable on the internet and so my only like I only do it in the hopes that it helps other people it's not just for my own edification oh trust I mean it's clear that you are very very honest and genuine about it all and you're very authentic and I can already tell by that just like from what the last 10 minutes that we're talking, you can already tell how authentic you are and just how cool and genuine and down to earth. And people see that people know people can sniff out. mm, Yeah. Fake people. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for it, but thank you. You're awesome. All right. Let me know if I could do a three second countdown. I loved our conversation so far and girl, (laughs) get ready. You're going to have more to talk about. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. ready. Okay. All right. Uh, Oh wait, hold up. How do you want me to introduce you? Um, you can introduce me as V.E. Schwab, but you can just say you're going to call me Victoria. V okay. is just like a it's just easier to put on the covers. OK, amazing. All righty. All right. So three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Oh, my God. You guys are going to be so excited. We have V.E. Schwab on our show today. <laughs> I know a lot of you are super freaking pumped about this. I've never seen so many of you popping up in our Facebook group, asking questions and being so involved and talking about what huge fans you are and how supportive you are of Victoria's work and how much it's impact you with your own writing journey. Uh, I'm very I'm even more excited. I was excited before, but now I'm even more excited just to know how enthusiastic everybody is. Victoria, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Oh, my God. I'm so excited <laughs> to chat with you. We already had a little bit of a chat before, and Victoria is a really 
cool, awesome human being. We've and just bonded. We bonded, girl. We bonded over some <laughs> real important, lengthy, conversational <laughs> topics. So yeah, Victoria's my girl. She's my ride or die. Let's just talk about that. But um, I, okay, let's talk about where are you calling in from? Where are we talking to you from right now? I'm in San Diego. Where are you? Nashville, Tennessee. Amazing. Which is my U.S. base. I kind of split my time between, and it's going to sound so much more pretentious than it is. <laughs> I split my time between Nashville, Tennessee, Edinburgh, Scotland, and a tiny what? cottage in the French countryside. Oh my God. Girl, you better calm <laughs> down now. Oh my gosh. That is, that is amazing. Wait, what, where did, okay, where, yeah. where did this pop up? How, how did this come I, up? I grew up in Tennessee, in Nashville. I'm actually originally from California, but I'm from north of where you are. I'm from the Bay Area. And oh, wow. I was raised in the South, went to an all-girls Southern prep school in the South, as you do, <laughs> and um, then went off and got you know my degree, and then went off a couple years later and got a graduate degree in Scotland, fell in love with Edinburgh, and have been spending more and more time there. It's just where I leave my bones at the end of the day. My heart is so happy there. And then my parents up and retired. I'm an only child, so I'm close with my parents. They up and retired and bought a 500-year-old cottage in the French countryside. What? Um, and just like peaced out before the election. They were like, bye. Oh my God, I love them. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. That's the way to do it. And so I go there. I go over like two or three times a year and then split my time over there between their house. Um, that's where my pets live most of them. <gasps> oh, my uh, God. It's got like walled gardens and prison cells underneath the garden walls. And oh, my things. God. So my, my heart home. And then Scotland. And then when I'm in the States, when I'm not touring, I did like 85 events last year. So I'm trying Holy to do shit. fewer this year. Um, I live in a weird little apartment in Nashville with like 20 foot long bookshelves that are organized by color and a very fat house cat named Oliver. <gasps> oh my God. That's so, wait, who takes care of your pets when you're traveling everywhere? Okay, that's the best part, right? I have friends who work at a local bookstore who come over and they house it and they take care of Oliver and my cat loves them far more than he loves <gasps> me. That is hilarious. Every <laughs> time they come over, they bring him new toys. So oh. every time I come back from a trip, he has like, stuffed like catnip mice and like toys and games and i'm like are you serious oh like, my cat God. is living a better life than i am dude you know the trap the cat is like basically trained to not love you anymore right yeah. i'm sorry about this but Everything's i him oh that's so cute by the way you have an amazing community of friends i have never heard of this before just having <laughs> friends that you make at a bookstore come over and take care of your baby well, I'm very lucky in that, like, I, I, so I got this apartment. It was my very first, like, adulthood move. Like, I bought this apartment. It's really pretty. I renovated the entire thing, and it's in, like, one of the, like, the hip areas in Nashville. So it's walking distance to, like, coffee shops and bakeries and all these things. So basically, they just, like, come and they stay in my apartment and, look after my, my cat and they just can have like all the books that they want and there's food around and stuff. So that's freaking awesome. It really sounds like a co-working space as well. I, I know co-working spaces are, are like really, I don't know if you've heard, like it's like a huge trend right now. It was starting, I think in, in New York that do it. Yeah. It's like a big thing. And I'm like, I'm really digging it. Cause my girlfriend, she was wanting to do this co-working um, mastermind kind of group. Uh, Cause we used to live in her um, huge loft in downtown LA and it's 
freaking gorgeous and you're just like overlooking the skyline of LA although there's not much of a skyline like to be really biased because I'm from New York I mean it's like you know I'm like yeah my friend was like oh where's the skyline I'm like yeah there is none looks like Legos come on girl you've been to New York you know I'm so mean sorry to skyline in this country I know right and the thing is like I I remember my girlfriend wanting to collect all her friends collect oh my god that sounds awful she wanted to gather apologies um she wanted to gather all her friends and just have them there and acquaintances just to work even if they're not in a mastermind sec- uh, um, session talking about business because she's a businesswoman mm-hmm. she wanted a space for them to come together and feel productive because when you're in that environment and you look out and you see buildings like city yeah. buildings your your mind is very like a new york minute you're going a mile a minute and you're like thinking of ideas and how to grow what it is your business whatever business you're doing um and she wanted to create something like that and when i was looking more into it I realized how big of a movement this whole co-working space oh, yeah. has been, especially the last, what, two especially years? for artists. Yes. Like, for yes. artists. One, it works for me because I'm super competitive. And if I see other people working, <laughs> I like, stick around. I love so, that. Uh, like, plus, if you have to pay for it, yes. then, it, then you're paying for it. You're investing in your own art and craft. You're far less likely to just kind of watch Netflix. That's true. Bit. That's true. So, you're not going to F around as much. It's it's very exactly. true. Girl, because you know, with artists, money is hard to come oh, by. And whatever yeah. money we earn, we're going to know how to use each dollar. But it's, so. Also, it's so hard. Like self-discipline, it can be really hard depending on how your emotional state is at the time, your yes. headspace. And so having and whatever people need to do, you know, there is no right way. Yes. Like, some I absolutely agree. Be alone in like a sensory deprivation chamber, <laughs> and other people need to be surrounded by people. So my needs change depending on the day and the project. I'm I'm the same exact way. By the way, I don't have like black or white. I have many gray areas where I'm just like, all right, whatever. I'm in the mood. Like one day, I'm like, I just want to be locked up in my girlfriend's San Diego family home and just be in the patio and get work done. Another day, I'm like, I can't be in here. I need to be in a coffee shop. I need to be around people. I need to see people. I need to. See see other people do their work or yeah. I just need to it's chill okay. out on the beach. It's okay to be changeable. This idea yes. that we have to like figure out what works and then keep doing it. Like it's our moods, especially with art. Like you have to, you can't, I don't know. You got to do whatever it is that works and what works on one day does not have to be the thing that works on the next. Yes. Day. Thank you for saying that and giving the community the permission to live that as well. I think there's a lot of, cause I know a lot of guests that we talked to on the show. I, I do love to ask and inquire like, how do you do your work and how's um, what works for you? What doesn't. And a lot of times it's like, okay, I need to be at a coffee shop. Others are, I strictly need to be at home. Others are like, I literally strictly need to be in the forest, in the woods, in a cabin. And it's, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's very like one way, but more so I ask these questions so that listeners understand, hey, there's not one way only. There's many different ways. However, you might be one of the first few that we have had on the show who actually changes in between different scenarios with with just one guest. You know what I'm saying? It depends. Well, it depends on like, it depends on which book I'm writing and I'll find mm. that the right environment for one book, it's not the right environment for another one. Cause I write yes. children's books, YA and adult, and I, I just have different headspace needs. And sometimes I need to be able to read my work aloud. And so if that, if I know I'm working on a project where in order to find the flow, I have to read the sentences back to myself aloud, then I'm not going to work in public. Cause then mm-hmm. it gets weird real fast. Um, it gets like super awkward, but the- is if I if I do have one piece of advice for any listeners, and that's create as few parameters as you can, 
Because like when I talk to writers and they're like, oh, well, I only like to write between the hours of 9 and 11 a.m. with a cup of chamomile tea and asking <laughs> in a very specific mug and the sunlight has to be coming through the window. <laughs> I'm like, what you're doing is you're giving yourself an excuse to write, right? The more parameters you have, the less, like the more easier it is for you to be like, oh, no, I can't. That's I can't a really good point. That's a really good point. Yes. You know? That is a really freaking good point because and I. so much of what we do is giving, is like trying to find excuses not to do it yes <laughs> it yes not to. yes uh, so don't give yourself too many parameters or else it's gonna be really easy I'll have days where if I tell myself oh I only like to write in the mornings and then it suddenly gets to be like two in the afternoon I'm like well I might as well not start writing today because it's just not enough time left you wow. know okay I've never actually seen it that way and thank you for giving me that eye-opening awareness because I usually again I think because most of the writers that we've talked to very much do have the set time and and yeah. and f- time frame that they're they I have to be honest they're they're really good and very disciplined and I'm not one of those I'll tell you what right now lying. oh that what that's true or that's true video games <laughs> right right girl I'll be here like on Netflix and addicted right? I ain't gonna lie shoot yeah, I yeah. Really- books a year and I still dick around on Netflix <laughs> the vast majority of time. I'm no, I'm not lazy. I actually have like a really big issue with this idea of writers just being like people that sit around like nine tenths of the time. Mm. Um, that always bothers me because I'm like, how are you affording to do any of that? Yes, <laughs> that's true. I do believe in like, I'm not productive. Like no one has an efficacy of a hundred percent. Like you have to rebuild everything that you're tearing down. It's like, if you're a marathon runner, running a marathon actually like destroys muscle, but then you have to take time to rebuild and creativity does the same thing. Like creative output takes a toll that then you have to, you have to compensate with creative input. And so like, I'm a firm believer in refilling the creative wells. Um, I love that. I totally believe anyone is lying if they claim like, unless you're, I think John Scalzi is the only person I've spoken to where I genuinely believes that he writes like 2000 words every single morning. But if you're not John Scalzi, I don't believe it. I love you. Girl, be throwing it down. Holla. Yes. Lying. Oh my God. I love you. Oh my God. I love you. You're freaking awesome. Uh, I need to know also about this creative. Well, I love the way you said that. I, I, that's definitely going to be a quote on your show notes page, by the way. So look out for that. Um, so it's like quote by V.E. Schwab, um, creative. Well, I want to know, cause we were talking about how do you have like three different beautiful spaces. It sounds like that you work from. Do you have a certain area? Cause you said that each different space, each different atmosphere brings out a different side of what exactly it is that you're working on for a specific project for that specific moment which one do you feel fills your creative well the most because I do I I personally am very inspired and affected by areas that I work in and I can only assume that you are too I feel like most writers are so assuming that you are which one which one fills for me, so there's two different issues to this, which is one, I can talk about the places I'm inspired by. For me, when I say creative well, I actually mean input of new content. So um. for me, filling the creative well means reading books, watching movies, reading comics, listening to music, like doing anything to replenish the like creative calories, so to speak. Yes, I like that. And so, but for me, I have two different primary places that I work. One is at my kitchen table because I have these bookshelves I get a lot of shit for these bookshelves, which I'm always, <laughs> these bookshelves are huge and they're beautiful and they're the whole reason I have this apartment, but they're color coordinated. 
Yes, and it you mentioned me, that. They're, they're a rainbow, and it makes me so happy. And the thing is, people have to understand, is one I almost never reread. So for me, but I have a library complex. So I need to own the books, but I probably won't reread them. And so books become a piece of art for me. Yes, and me so too. That's why the books are arranged that way. People are always like, well, how do you find it? One, because I'm probably not going to need it in short order. But also, I have a visual memory. I originally went to art school. Like, I can find the books. Like, I put them there. I know where they are. Um, but I like it because I'm working at my table, and it's that kind of very close proximity to what I'm working toward. Mm. You know, I have these shelves filled with books. My whole – everything that I do is to making space on that shelf for my books. Um, mm, yes. And honestly, if we're being real, for feeding my book-buying habit, which is a <laughs> problem. So for me, I'm incredibly inspired by just sitting at the kitchen table, plus in like a really weird – super, I don't know. I don't know whether to call this just like consumerist or like Slytherin. I don't know. You could approach it from so many different directions, but I, I bought this apartment with money that I earned writing books. And so kitchen table surrounded by things that I bought and paid for with book money uh, is kind of very motivating. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a full circle. Yeah. Holy crap. So I don't know, for some reason, sorry, my cat just got like stuck to a chair. Oh my God, like, that's so cute. But not disentangle him. I don't know. My cat is and not is a very- he, Is he fat? Yeah. He's, he's large. He's not fat. He's like a tiny lion. Girl, uh, you got to get him fat. I love fat cats. He's tubby. He's tubby. <laughs> he's not like, like a Scottish fold or one of those cats oh. where you're just like, you're spherical. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I just you heard a scratching noise in the back of those. My cat literally trying to attach himself in a chair. No, so oh, please. We know he just wanted a cameo appearance. Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. Like, All he's right. just uh, find my cat on my Instagram. I'm pretty sure he's more popular than I am at this point. But, so the other place that I love to write is this coffee shop downtown. And I love it because I'm convinced it's my actual room of requirement. Like, my room of requirement, like, came out of my head and made a made a coffee shop because it's got these high cathedral like ceilings and it plays music and it's quiet and it's a grad student hangout and I write most of my adult uh genre books there holy crap that sounds beautiful okay I need to know because your spaces sound really gorgeous do you share photos of your spaces whether it's the coffee shop your own apartment or the cottage my, my apartment because I'm super proud of it so it's mostly like whenever I can't think of anything else to post on Instagram I'm like here have my bookshelf oh my god I love that okay well I'm gonna link I'm definitely gonna link that on your show notes page because I'm all about I'm like that that person that crazy person who spends probably hours and hours on end on Pinterest if I suddenly get on and I can't get off for some reason because it's so freaking addicting and I just I love looking at library um, libraries. Okay, number you have one, to go onto my Instagram. Oh, girl. Okay, I'm probably gonna get a book boner for sure. Oh, um, it's oh dear. Okay, I better get my lotion, my tissue ready. Excuse right, me. Right? Oh my get god, TMI. Get yourself. Get yourself. Do whatever you need to do. Okay. Um, That's I, right. I post pictures. Every time I post pictures, people are like, "Tag your porn." <laughs> my favorite internet saying that's Um, amazing that's like my favorite kind of porn and and the thing is like I also love looking at writing nooks I love looking at inspiration for nooks where um people post like these gorgeous photos of like all white background and all white furniture I'm like bitches please mine would probably be so dirty black (laughs) and like grudges everywhere and like smudges and like like tea stains left and right if my parents French house, like tiny French cottage couldn't get any better. 
because I'm an only child, they obviously made a bedroom in it for me. <laughs> and they've got these massive beams because they're like 500-year-old beams. Basically, each beam is a tree, right? Oh and my in God. my bedroom, there is a corner behind one of the beams where they built a book nook. They what built like a fucking nook with like cushions and built-in bookshelves on this what? tiny little nook and a Neil Gaiman quote on the wall and everything. All right, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty jealous right now but in the best way possible i'm not gonna lie and i hope you have photos i had to say it i had to say it girl i'm like my face is green right now okay (laughs) so it's i mean shoot um okay do you have photos of that posted on instagram there's one photo of it okay i need to go for it it's hidden behind a a pooch uh like a giant french beam Oh my, okay. I need to check this out because I'm all about these kind of photos. Oh my God. That's amazing. Um, I always love to look for inspiration too, because I'm like, all right, for our next place, um, me and my girlfriend are temporarily living in San Diego now before going back to LA for her once she opens up her restaurant shop. So when that opens, we have to look for a place literally in that same town. You did the smartest thing. You got to find a girlfriend who is also a a chef. Right, girl. Let me tell you. Friend who is dating a girl who cooks, and I'm like, this is what I'm missing. Like, this is what is wrong with my life right now. Is like, I need a girlfriend who cooks. Don't like, worry, I can introduce you to plenty of them. Don't even worry about that. I'm coming back to LA soon. I need you guys to move to LA, and then I'll come to LA, and then you introduce me to gay girls who cook because done. that's what I need. Done and done. It's we have a whole circle of them. Don't even oh worry God. about it. Okay. I hope you're into Asian people because let me tell you they know how to cook let me tell you i feel like these things i should not be talking about on a podcast i'm very much into asian girls i feel like super weird thing because if i were like a white guy i would smack myself just for saying it but i can't help it okay okay listen everybody loves asian girls all right so come on you got listen it's okay it's okay we love it i'm spending a lot more time in la too because i'm doing a lot of like uh movie meetings and stuff and so telling you let me know when you guys move to la done and done done and done and you'll be you'll be the first one to be invited to to her shop and then we can just hang out and she loves doing dinner gatherings um no joke she just brings people together acquaintances strangers whoever wants to join it's a supper club and she just i love everything about this yeah she wants heart she there's she never it's hard because she grew up she was born and raised in san diego so they're all about heart and conversation and hi how are you and you know coffee shop baristas remembering your name and your children's names and saying hi to you every day then moving to she went up to the bay area by the way to help start a bar because i know you're from the bay area but it was specifically san jose and then what get the fuck are you get the hell out of here which is like right like it's this it's the suburb wait have you gone back recently no okay i was gonna ask you maybe you you might know like some shops that popped up i'm like maybe you've gone in and like visited the bar that's so crazy because i say bay area because nobody ever knows holy shit and i was saying bay area too because i also agree that no one knows what san like not many people know like i didn't know about san jose like congratulations you're gay can we talk about this now and i'm like seriously like no because like the queer scene in nashville is just not great that's listen i i shouldn't probably i mean i don't even know like uh, to be honest, like there are some things with all the news happening in right now, especially after the oh, election. Yeah. Um, 
I talk about it with my girlfriend and it's unfortunate that it's like a joke that almost rings very true. It is actually very true. A lot of times where, you know, I have friends that are like, oh my God, come out to this certain place and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, yeah, it sounds beautiful, but I'm scared shitless at the same time. Uh I'm like, number one, I'm Asian. All right. I went to Florida with my family. Like my mom had um, a, a few places there and we were just visiting and checking it out, showing our support for our mom saying like, oh, we're so proud you found a great spot. Um, okay. Just a family like a family of us five of us crossing the street some people call us chinks and no joke the n-word the n-word calling us asians the n-word and then we're like wait ignorant as well as racist i'm like wait wait hold up are you gonna get racist you want to use the right term first of all please so i I mean i mean this is and this is florida this is florida and i grew up going to orlando south Uh, that's the thing I didn't I wasn't aware I was not and that was a rude fucking awakening and I was like holy shit if this is the this is Florida is a state that's known to have freaking Disney World okay and it's Disney World is supposedly one of the most accepting places with all ethnicities cultural backgrounds blah 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 no it's not and Nashville is like a blue dot in the middle of a red state how did you guys meet? Uh, well, we met. She was she helped to start this delicious restaurant in Silver Lake in Los Angeles. Okay. And then so I my one of my best friends who used to live in Silver Lake before moving out to Venice, she was like, all right. Um, and so she's like this super pretty white girl. And yeah. she's like all into all into my people's food. And she's like, I'm so into Taiwanese oolong tea right now. I'm like, all right. And then she's <laughs> like, so there's this new restaurant that just opened like a block down from my yeah. home. Let's go check it out. So I'm like, OK, she shows me the Yelp photos. I'm like, girl, this is not owned by authentic Taiwanese people. It's probably white people taking our <laughs> culture, making money off of it. Yeah. We went in. Sure enough, it was Taiwanese. The first one I meet there is Moonlin. And she's uh-huh. there at the front holding it down and she's like hi nice to meet you so at that moment I did not know that I was into women like truly I was actually out of a relationship with a guy before that Uh no like I was I used to make jokes with that guy and I was like you know what what happens if we ever break up? And it was so weird. It's not something that I would say. So it's like as if I my subconscious knew. And yeah. then I was like, what if I end up dating a woman? And he was like, he's a sweet guy, but he was very Catholic too. Yeah. And he was like, you know what? No, no. That would like, he was just so offended and upset and angry, like very upset as if I insulted him. And I was like, whoa. And I got angry. I'm like, yo, fuck that. Don't come and tell yeah. me. Like, first of all, being a straight, confident man, you shouldn't have to feel so threatened. Like, why is it that everything? Yeah. Right. Dude, like what? You think it has to revolve around you? Are you serious? Like, oh, calm down. Like what? You think that the like, oh, it's just, it's because of me that I turned her to be a lesbian. Saying, like, calm the fuck they, down. Then they're afraid they turned you gay. Somehow. Yes. Yes. That's exactly no oh, joke. No, that's exactly. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. And then so so that time I was out of that relationship. Thank goodness. And then um, okay, so it was about what, like eight months yeah. after that, that we weren't like, you know, I was totally single and everything. But it was weird because that same best friend of mine who brought me to that restaurant, okay. she set me up on. Oh, God, was it eCupid? Like one of those dating sites. Yeah. Right. And she's like, it was so bizarre. She's like, oh, should I put you as interested in women and men or just men? And I was like, wait, excuse me, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't even realize then. So I was like, 
of course men what are you what are you saying yeah. like women and men she's like i'm just saying it's nothing wrong with any you know listen just letting you know it's okay there's no judgment and no one yeah. should be judging and it's not an issue she at all even before you knew <laughs> Dude, she fucking outed me before i knew myself and then after that so i met moonlin at that restaurant like i don't know a month after my best friend set me up on that online dating. So I met Moonlin and it was literally just as a friend. And I was like, okay, cool. She's a cool chick. If anything, I felt worried that my best friend was going to replace me with this new, awesome, hot looking Asian lady. Cause my, (laughs) my best friend is like obsessed with Asian girls. And she's like, oh my gosh, she's like this awesome businesswoman. We should have her in our group. Be so amazing. I'll look up to her. There's only room for one. That sounds nuts, right? (laughs) And then, so it's pretty funny, like how that dynamic started. Then me and my bestie went to Burning Man uh-huh. literally three months after that, that first meeting with Moonlin. Moonlin coincidentally was going to Burning Man as well. And oh. we found this out well, like a few, like about a month before Burning Man was happening. So this is like over two and a half years ago. And then so what happened was she's like, Moonlin was like, hey, so me and my friends are going to Burning Man. If you guys, I know you guys are newbies and she's like a three, four time burner. And she's like, if you want to, like, if you need help, we're here. We're like, we we can save a plot of land for you next to us. We can guide you and kind of show you around. And like, if you need any help, we have your back. So just leaving it out there. And I'm like, eh, we don't need your help. It's fine. And then <laughs> so, and then of course my best friend is like, oh no, no, no. We need her help. Like, are, are you kidding? We're going to die out there in the desert. So so then we end up plotting, like, you know, plotting ourselves right next to yeah. them and just like setting up tent. And girl, one day we just all went partying um, like one of the evenings. It was almost towards the end of Burning Man. Yeah. Holy shit. My best friend and her boyfriend left me. They went to fall asleep. They fell asleep at like 10, 10 p.m. And yeah. I here I am like on my bl- like I drank so much black tea. I'm not <laughs> even I swear to you, like Moonlin and their friends thought I was on drugs and thought that the name, the the word black tea was a code word for drug. <laughs> but no, and I, was, I literally am just no, like, I, I, I'm like, literally, I'm probably the prudish person like ever and it's kind of embarrassing but i i literally am like so not on drugs right now it's literally black tea they're like sure sure whatever yeah that's cool that's cool i'm like um really and then so that night on all that black tea i was up all night pulling an all-nighter dancing throughout the night with moonlin and her group even though i wasn't that tight with her and all of a sudden i like looked over and i saw some girls like walking up to her and talking uh-huh. and i realized i got jealous like yeah. completely oh. jealous. I'm oh like, holy fucking shit. I'm like, why am I having these feelings right now? Like, this is so weird. So I came out to myself at Burning Man. I actually, you know, I, I'm sure you know, but listen to this. So I was fucking scared. You know yeah. that Burning Man has absolutely no reception. I'm sure you've heard. Yeah, yeah. And I, one of my other best friends, this guy, he's gay. And I needed to talk to him about his experience. And like, just to make sure that I felt like I wasn't, sure if I was going like nuts or like just yeah. kind of like not knowing I'm like I'm like dude come on I'm like I was like late 20s and I'm like at that age I should know my sexuality yeah, you know what it's you know is full of coding though it's so yes. hard to like I went to an all-girls prep school so I already was like four years late because I was so like it was drilled into me that like that is not a thing yes yes you I think know? that was for me too I grew up in this area in Long Island where Gay people were not acknowledged. It wasn't even talked about. I did not know about gay people till I was outside of high school 
believe it or not. There's your delay right there. (laughs) There we go. It's true. And the thing was, I even, I don't know why, but I even had a fear of the idea of lesbians. Like, I don't know what it is. And I realized like when I was working on myself, talking to therapists and stuff, and I'm like, holy shit, it's because I was afraid of myself. Like I, I was afraid to come to terms with myself completely. And I was pushing it away lesbian women there are some that don't like bisexuals it's interesting i didn't know all this till i entered the world after meeting moonlin and i was like why are they so against like won't aren't they supposed like why wouldn't they want to be more open because they understand what it's like to have issues with acceptance and like coming to terms with their own sexuality just because you're bisexual doesn't mean that you don't go through the same type of difficulties and, and struggles right when you're coming into your own and it was just so interesting even like finding out that you can be shunned by lesbians if you're oh, bisexual. Yeah. So me and Moonlin, we realized we're both bisexual and you love who you love. I don't yeah. see gender and I don't like categories. I don't like labels. It's just easier for people yeah. to throw you in labels. You know what I'm saying? So for the longest time I didn't come out. So I'm bi. I mean, I always say I get gayer by the day. Like I always like I, I came out as bi, but for, for the longest period of time, I wouldn't even do that because I was, I hate labels and I am a firm believer of love first, gender second. Um, and so for me, I, I resisted it for such, such a long period of time and I still don't really like the label Yes, because I don't feel like it's, I don't know. Like I, I'm just like, but it doesn't really, I don't know. I hate the whole idea of labels. I'm like, but I don't need it. So why does it matter? But yeah, I'm amazed by, I'm very lucky. I have like very, very good lesbian friends in my life, but there's a whole bunch of like lesbian women or girls who will not date me because I'm bi. See, see, that's, I just don't understand that. I think that's so fucked up. It sucks. That's the thing that Moonlin was telling me about. Cause she's been in the scene way longer than I have. Yeah. And, and I never had a proper chance of being in the dating world when I did come out to myself yeah. because immediately, of course, it's like you hear the term U-Haul lesbian. I mean, hello, it became true <laughs> for us. I mean, like we were U-Hauling like, holy shit, like nobody's business, girl. I was yeah. like, what does that mean? Oh, that means us. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. That's fine. Um, It's still working yeah. out. It's good. So, and the thing is, I just, when she was telling me that I was like, why on earth? Like why create more more divisions why create more issues so i had like a really long conversation with a couple of my closest gay friends um Mm -hmm. women and i and i brought it up because like i'm by obviously i think mm, i lean more these days towards gay than straight but Mm -hmm. i think that's just because like i realize like i don't i'm again i'm so top shelf (laughs) girl that's right (laughs) like prettiest of either category i don't care um Okay, so oh I just like people first, gender second, but then also the gender should be like super pretty. Yes, yeah, super hot. <laughs> uh, uh, right. But I talk to them and I think it's because they, in lesbians' eyes, in, in my friend's eyes, um, if you're bi, you have the option to pass them. Like you can make life easy for yourself by only, by choosing to be with men still and not, uh, and still feel some modicum of like wholeness. Though it doesn't work that way because it's I was falling in love with the person. No. You, don't be, you don't just get to be exactly. like, no, I only look for men. Like that's yes. not how it works. Yes. But in their minds, it was that for them, they had no choice. And right. in their mind, bisexuality was still a kind of choice. So their pool is smaller versus your pool being bigger. So it's and almost- They have no okay. luxury to like- like if you're bi and you choose to go the like faux heterosexual route, right. then you can still have the normal life without mm. prejudice. Whereas like for lesbians, there is no choice there. 
And so like they can't, they'll never, you know, you in their mind, it's like you have a 50, 50 chance of having a normal life. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and I get that. I totally get that. Like there is a, a there is a hierarchy of disenfranchisement there. Yes. You know? Yes. But at the same time, it's a false equivalency to think that this is just a 50 50 kind of thing. <laughs> I agree. I do agree. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, I can understand that. And I do feel the same way where it's like, um, but it doesn't mean that. No. We can just switch it off and be like, all right, well, because you know how you're saying you're leaning more towards gay nowadays yeah. where I'm like, that's kind of like me and my girlfriend were saying that because we we're literally we talk about marriage. We talk about kids in the future and all that stuff. And it's you're with I it's mean, what it's you, exactly like your exactly. entire dating spectrum. It's who you're with. Right exactly. Now. Matters. Thank you very much, because I'm like, if we were only looking at what we're seeing today, right now, talking about this second, then that means my pool is smaller. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's not like I can just switch it you're off. Break up with Moon Lin just so that you can have a no, quote unquote normal. Exactly. Life. Um, you're like, if you're then they're saying if you're bisexual and you're with a woman, then your only option then in order to have that kind of freedom that a lot of, I guess, like the gay community thinks you have is to legit like no longer be with the person that you're in yes. love with and yes. force yourself into a specific lane. Yes. I think, I don't know. I, I understand where it comes from. I feel like I have less room to judge. I've not been out my whole life. I've not been, you know, like I, this is this is a thing that I repressed for long enough that it's not something I dealt with in my early teen years, not consciously. I dealt right. with it unsubconsciously right Uh, but I don't know it's a messy messy thing have you come out is your family are they like totally cool with it um yeah so I came out over the course of like 10 years repeatedly to my parents oh my god so they kind of like pretend to forget about it hypothetical and then it was like no but seriously no but (laughs) seriously I think my parents are like they're wonderfully supportive it about everything in my life they want me to be happy I think they're 100% supportive in theory and like 80 to 90% supportive in actuality, which I just think it's just, you know, they want me to have a stable, happy life. It got easier when I basically explained to them like, yo, these loins are not reproducing either way. So you're holding out because you think I'm going to bring you a grandchild of my womb. Sorry. Like, oh my God. Because I'm like, if you're holding out because you think if you want me to be with a man because you want me to have like a nuclear family with a man and a woman and a child, you're mm-hmm. not going to get that either way. Right. Yep. Yep. Like, so if you can put that aside, they want me to have the easiest life, you know, they don't want right. me to like go through, um, more difficulty, like no parent wishes that on their child. And so yes. in that way, I think that's their only major reservation I mean, yes. I kind of screw them in that, like, I'm an only, I'm an only child. Like, they don't mm-hmm. have a choice. Here. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, we have other children. Right? It's like, all right, we could lose one. I just had to, I mean, I, I'm fairly headstrong. So I think that they knew they were never going to disown me. This is the thing, right? Small yeah. problems, right? Like, this was never a risk of me being kicked out of the house. There was never a risk of my parents being like, I can't look at you. Um, it's simply like them coming to terms with the idea. Oh, that's very loud. I'm sorry. Them coming <laughs> no, to terms with the idea of like, their child being put in any kind of situation where they're discriminated against. Obviously, I come from high privilege environment. I'm white and I'm upper middle class, right? Mm. Now I'm like historically Jewish. So they that's the only way that they know how to contextualize things, right? Mm, it's like my yes. family on both sides is Jewish. And so they know like that's the only kind of discrimination that they can relate to. Yes. Um, 
but really like in most in every other way like I have had privilege my whole life and they have had privilege and so they don't they simply don't want my life to be harder than it has to be yeah, I can get yeah. I can get that. That was similar to my parents. I actually had to threaten the whole, you know what, like if you you know, I, I love you guys so much. I said to my mom and I think when she thought I was kidding and I was like yeah. kind of like a similar situation, we're yeah. Like, yeah, but no, really. But no, and, seriously. No, seriously. And she's like, no, no. Well, I how do you know? I'm like, uh, well, she's like, well, I love boobs, too. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, that was like- was like I kissed a girl in college. I'm like, mom, like literally none of this means the same thing. I know. I'm like, wait, my what? Father, I was 16 when I said it jokingly the first time, and my father said, and I quote, "As long as she's pretty." Oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, this is how you're top shelf gay, okay? That's what I, it was. was groomed me to be top yeah. shelf gay. Oh my god! You can. T- I'm 16, and I look at my father, and I'm like, Dad, of course she'd be pretty. Oh my god. <laughs> That is amazing. Oh my God. I bet he's like, I taught you well. Podcasts and one of the podcasts is just like talking about gay girls and the other podcast is just talking about books. Oh my God. I love this. But you know what? That is, I mean, thing is, I think that's amazing that you're able to like get through all of that and just to like put it in their face and be like, listen, I'm not, I think the biggest thing that I have is like being around friends who are gay and having to feel like they still have to pretend to live a certain life or lifestyle. And that's not cool with me because, and I know it's not fair of me to be like interjecting into their life and be like, no, you need to come out now. Like it's, I'm not trying to do that, but it's more so like for me, it, it, exactly. It pains me to see them in pain because they can't accept who they really are. A couple of friends who got married and, um, one of the, one of my, my, my friend, um, her parents wouldn't come to the wedding and we flew out to Shit. Colorado and my father walked her down the aisle. Um, and oh all I could think is like, well, one, I was like, dad, enjoy that. It's probably the only time that's going to happen. <laughs> um, so I, was like, uh, I was like, this is so sad. You have to believe that her family's going to look back on that and regret that severely. Like yes. it's so short sighted. Like family yes. is family. And yes. It just, it, it saddens me. It makes me feel incredibly, again, privileged to like have parents who would not disown me, mm-hmm. um, even if they disapproved. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's, I'm, it's not their ideal situation, but I'm also yeah. an author, probably not their ideal profession. I like went to school originally <laughs> for astrophysics, right? Holy shit. Wait, what? Yeah. I originally went to school, started out for astrophysics. Wait, what? Wait, hold up. Hold how? how? What, well, what I mean, got like, you into that? Uh, all through high school, massive math science geek, um, really, really good at math and science, uh, specifically physics and got to college, started studying astrophysics. And then I realized that the course catalog was like 350 pages long and life was short. And so I started bouncing around to different things, um, changed my major six times. And finally my parents were like, dear God, child, just graduate. You're not going (laughs) any of these things obviously <laughs> and dear god child if you want to be with a woman you can be with a woman exactly. as long as you graduate by now okay <laughs> just being like fine victoria <laughs> whatever you want to do girl you want to be as long as we're not having to pay for it anymore <laughs> oh my god 
That is amazing leverage right there, by the way. Um, that's freaking awesome. Thank you, you know so there much. There are so many people that don't have their shit together by age 30 that I feel like my parents aren't in a position to complain because I'm like financially solvent and yes. all of these things that I'm like, really? Like yep. at the end of the day, you guys are doing pretty well. Yes, exactly. And at the end of the day, you're not hurting anybody. You know what I'm saying? That's Nothing. one. That's the main point I brought up to my mom. I'm like, after she was like, she realized I was not joking around. Yeah. And she's like, how could you do this? How could you do this to your family? Oh, your, for God's sake. Yeah, Sorry. right? Like how, literally, how could you do this? And yeah. I literally hung up. I was crying. And then I texted her this fucking long ass novel. Uh-huh. And the main key was to drive home was that I am not hurting anybody. Moonlin, no. Moonlin One is not hurting anybody. Happiness does not hurt exactly. This is not a zero sum game. Exactly. And then in the end, my little sister, she chose a wrong sibling to mess with. Little sister is VP in high school. She was in high school of the LGBTQ community. Oh, Girl, stepped up. And she was ripped my mom and you asshole what? and totally... your mom, but like I, good. I swear to you, and my middle sister is even more aggressive. Oh my God, especially when it comes to quote unquote human rights situations. Yeah. Holy fuck. You do not want to fuck with these two. They are so scary. And they're literally, we're like, how could you? How could you treat her like this? That means you don't love us as daughters if you don't love her that means you don't love us you know what how could you do this blah 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 blah. and my baby sister was like mom you know that her loving a woman has nothing to do with anything it's just like you loving dark chocolate over milk chocolate what's the difference it's chocolate one first of all please don't reduce this to chocolate yes yes and it was but you know what in the end my mom understood in terms of chocolate because chocolate is her weakness chocolate is universal it is and holy shit chocolate saved our relationship and ever since literally the next day she called and apologized and was like honey tell me about moonland i can't wait to hear and i was like whoa holy fuck it's that eye-opening experience but i mean really that question is at the heart of so much of the anti-lgbtq movement in that this idea of like somehow by you being with someone that you love. Somehow you being happy is going to end the world. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, since when is this about anybody's business mm-hmm. but yours? Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Preach. Like, I'm so telling what? you. So what? We won't go up with the rapture. I'm so sorry. Yes. Congratulations. You will go up without us. Yes. Like, I agree. This is a one conversation I agree to preach in. But it's kind of personal. Yes. But I feel like this whole last past hour is just us being like. Yeah, right, right. Just like, like t- totally talking. Feminism does not belong in the bathroom and like gay girls are awesome. Yes. Like, <laughs> uh, last hour in summation. But so is, is there also like, what's the cultural element to it from like, cause you're Taiwanese. Yes. So my, like a, my dad's Taiwanese. My mom is Chinese, Malaysian and Singaporean. Okay. So, um, I, honestly am very lucky and I feel very privileged as well I did not get it as I mean I hate to say this but I hate to use the word lucky but in a way I feel lucky do you know what I'm saying I feel like you shouldn't have to use the word lucky in a situation like this but I do in that I've seen other friends who are um, and we're just hearing about other coming out stories because Moonlin is is Taiwanese as well she's she's full Taiwanese Uh and the thing is um in Taiwanese culture, at least from what I know, my dad's sister made a comment and he, she said, 
you better be careful. Your daughters are very beautiful. Like the, like about my little sisters and she didn't know about me. And then she's like, you know, nowadays I hear there's lesbians all around. So you better be careful. And so I'm like, Oh God. Oh my God. Be careful. You're going to get raped on the street left and right. Oh Lord. Mean girls with two of my gay friends last night. And it's like all about that. Like, the lesbians have come. I know, seriously. It's just like... party. She's a lesbian. I know. It's like, oh my God, calm the fuck down. Like, seriously. I'm like, what the fuck are we going to do, do to you? Like, are you serious? Are you... Be like, excuse me, I am a top shelf guy. I know, right? I'm like, and you are not one of the type of people that I would be into. So please do not try and compliment yourself right now. You are insulting me right now. But the thing Les- is, it's like, it's crazy because culturally, it's yeah. not... Accepted. I'll tell you right now when Moonlin and I were traveling, um, when I went to Taiwan, Taiwan is actually surprisingly, I was really surprised about this. Taiwan is one of the most openly um, accepting of the gay community in Asian countries. Yes. And they have one of the largest LGBT pride um, celebrations when it comes to Asian countries. This I did not know. Um, But my mom's side where it's Malaysian when we went to Malaysia we had to be a bit more secretive and I'm very anti-hidden and I don't like that I don't feel like I need to hide myself whatsoever however this came to a point where it did feel like our lives were at stake because you can get I believe it's hung yeah. you can oh my God. yeah either get hung or I don't know if it's stoned but yeah. you can get um killed if they find out so we just we weren't showing like extreme affection. We, yeah. you know, we were just showing like we were, we were just like just walking, you know, and if people wondered, they probably thought we might, I mean, just close we, friends. right. Yeah. Or like even sisters, sadly, I mean, yeah. to say like, no joke, I'll be honest. Like, you know, they'll be like, oh, are you cousins or sisters or whatever? But um, I mean, <laughs> God, that than, I mean, and then hung, you know, like, it is just, it's fucking so sucks. Sad. It sucks. Like, I don't know what other word to use except that it fucking sucks. And but in Taiwan, it's like we can hold hands. But also culturally, women growing up, young girls growing up in Taiwan yeah. and even parts of Malaysia where little girls just hold each other's hands, even yeah. middle school and high school. And it's not a thing. So a lot of girls who are lesbians and don't want to come out in Taiwan, they can they kind can, of it off as friends. Exactly. So I think for my dad, it was hardest for him. Yeah. He's Taiwanese and it was really difficult for him, but he's so accepting of it right now, but it was hard for him. It, it took a few months for him to really swallow it and, and realize like it's a real thing. And then he, it was sweet. He started clipping all these newspapers in Chinese in the Taiwanese newspapers to uh-huh. make, telling my mom to make sure to send it to me because it was, you know what the clippings were of, of um, how Taiwan is super open about gay uh-huh. people and that they're very accepting. And uh-huh. I, yeah, I was like crying when I heard that. Man, um, parents, parents do things in, fucking, in the small, important ways. Right. I'm like, damn it, dad, really? Like now you gotta do this to me right now. And I'm like crying. Um, right. But also, I, I did luck out because my grandpa is on my mom's side. He's an artist. He, because he's an artist already, he doesn't see this whole gay, straight situation. He's like, you love who you love. Who, what the fuck is the problem? And oh, God, yeah. I like your grandfather very, very much. Oh, yeah. He's so fucking dope. And he was like straight up like ripped my mom and dad a new asshole and all of his daughters, my aunts. And well, my one of my aunts is super supportive. She's like, honey, of course we still love you. What kind of ridiculous question is that? If anyone has a problem, that is their problem. Screw them. Da, da, da. Honey, we love you no matter what we can't wait yeah. to meet moonlin blah 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 like i was 
I hate to use the word again, but very lucky, you know, fortunate, fortunate. very fortunate in that aspect hearing compared to other friends who I have a gay best guy friend. He's Israeli. He's, you know, Jewish background and the parents still don't really acknowledge. They know, but they don't want to know. They forget. One of my best gay friends, like when she came out, her sisters, her older sisters messaged her and were basically like, how dare you think about what your happiness is doing to our family? Just like you were saying earlier. And that's just, that's so sad. Yep. Yep. Oh my God. It's just, I'm glad that that they're supportive, that they've come around to it. Thank you so much. I do appreciate that. It was, it was shocking for everybody. Like my aunt, I was surprised my aunt who has a good friend who's a lesbian. I thought she, one of my other aunts, I thought she'd be the most supportive, but she was the most shocked and the most in denial. Do you Um, think it's one of those ones where it's just like, um, is as, that like uh, close to home concept? Yes, yes, yes. It's almost like, yeah, there's no problem. I'm, <laughs> yes, yes. As long as, yeah, I'm so cool with everybody as long as it's not one of my own kind Which of situation. Also the flip side of it that can bring people around if they've not had interactions yes. with, uh, yes. with a member of the community. And then like, it's like you see that would happen with Republican politicians where all of a sudden like one of their children is gay and suddenly they have to like rethink all of their like yes. hate spewing. Yes. Okay. You know what? So. Talking about like rethinking a lot of things and parents, my mom and dad, I'm so proud of my mom. Yeah. What she did recently this past year uh, with my dad, she started a company, a manufacturing company in New York. Uh-huh. She ended up, and this is like going up against partners too, who are like part of my dad's side of the family who are not cool with gay people. Um, she forced this retirement plan for her empl- their employees uh-huh. to be open for gay people too, and to not discriminate where it's oh, like, good. so that it can't be like, Bro. it was amazing where she's like, honey, look at what you inspired. Look at this. Like, look at what we're doing where, you know, there were other companies in that kind of field that are like, this is only applied for straight people. And this will not be allowed. You know, this retirement program will not be allowed for gay people. But for her specifically, she requested, she's like, make sure there's no discrimination against gay people. Make sure that this covers their family too, covers them and everything. And I was so fucking moved i was like wonderful yeah i was very on the ground growth yeah it really was and damn it got me and my mom closer we make some perverted ass jokes i'm like mama i think i I might be you know bad because of you i don't know maybe you're a lesbian (laughs) i'm just saying she's like you never know like she totally (laughs) jokes right now it's super cute it's super cute like mom you little dyke i literally say that all the time she's like you never know i was like all right calm down she's like i might be joining you you better watch it moonlin i'm like oh my god back off my girlfriend right now yeah it's you've like that's so much progress from coming to that place of when she first heard you oh know? yeah can you imagine just like from day one like what you heard where it's like oh what an embarrassment to our family how could you do that now to like yeah i might steal your girlfriend i'm like oh my lord sometimes when I tell my friends about like what my dad said when I first told him they're like oh my god how rude and I'm like you don't understand like that was my father like that for my father was the closest he would ever come to being able to be like I'm okay with it yeah it's like he basically was like he's he's like well then we basically like both have the same type you know what I mean yes yes. like he will like point out a beautiful young girl to me (laughs) be like isn't she pretty and I'm like oh you are like both very pervy right now and trying so hard and I like appreciate it but also like 
no that's so funny that's like him he's trying like he didn't do it to be like insensitive he like knows i'm shallow yeah (laughs) so he's like he's like girl i know i raised you to be top shelf now don't let me down you better say yes to this pretty one oh my god i oh my god i love this thank you so much for diving into that with me by the way i thought that was freaking awesome um also, i'm seriously coming out to la i'm serious seriously honestly like once we move back yeah. i need to let you know i'll reconnect with you i'll email you i'll shoot me via email yeah seriously i'm um, not even kidding and i love la and also having a community too is really yeah, important as we know trying to establish communities in multiple places i have like a really good gay community in scotland believe it or not Wh- wait what are you serious I know, I know but it's small it's like very hard to date there because everyone's already dated everybody oh so it's almost incestuous it's a little incestuous but oh, like, okay but it's a but solid am, community though it is a it is a much smaller community um mm. but no i've been spending more and more time in la and i need to build out my community there so we oh should oh my gosh yes definitely let's do that because i know also moonlin because since she moved um down to la from san jose she yeah. She it was really difficult for her to find friends because I moved out from New York with my gay best friend. So it was easier because I mean, it's so freaking helpful. You already have your family with you. And it was just so much easier from there where it's just like I didn't need all these friends. You know what I'm saying? Because I already had like that one person in my life that was like my brother. And I was like, all right, everybody else, if they gravitate towards us, then we know they kind of vibe with us. And we're super partner in crime. Exactly. And we girl, we can get crazy too. like me (laughs) and like that best friend. Like we are so most people be like, oh, God, you guys are so weird and so dorky. But we don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? We're like, we are who we are easier when you go to a new city to have that oh you know? absolutely and then when you know there are people gravitating towards you guys when you go out to events and like fun yeah. hangouts together then you know they're your kind of people who kind of like understand your quirkiness and like all right we don't have to try and be all pretentious and cool right now we love yeah. board games we love read like we love you know what i'm saying it's like stuff like that and the thing is moonlin had a hard fucking time making friends really? for a long time like a really long time yeah and she's really still trying to establish that and and that's why she created that heart of dinner it's she called it heart of dinner where she wants those real conversations and through those dinners supper clubs no joke people who were strangers and acquaintances became good lifelong friends i love everything about that it's so beautiful very like so i my family's all european but it's very much actually like a similar thing with European culture is this idea of you break bread, you bond yes. through meals. Yes. Um, like it's an event. It's how you like all of the friends that my parents have made in France. I'm so proud of them because they've moved to the place. They don't know anybody and they've made friends and wow. they do it by having meals and having community. And, and can all you imagine people- also completely new language? Uh, can we talk about that for a second? Like, holy shit. To oh, actually-, no, actually, so my dad is fluent, but my mom didn't speak a word of French when they moved there. <gasps> Oh, I'm, so, and I'm sure she caught on and she probably can speak. She's learning. Fr- she's still learning. But it's like it takes such bravery, but they've found community. And the way you find community is you find it through food. Yes. Thank like, you very much. You just so. summed it up in that one phrase. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's so true. Like, I feel like some people like they look at me like I'm nuts when I'm like, no, food brings us together. It's so universal. What does everybody need to survive? Food. Exactly. And- exactly. You know the people that enjoy food are also people that you can really hang out with and have fun with. I don't well, know. There's just something real. about it. I don't it. trust people that don't like food. That's right, girl. I'm like, girl, why 
you eating like a bird right now? You're just going to eat grass for your lunch? Are you serious? No, let's enjoy some. Okay, by the way, I hope you're not like all like, you know, pita type. um, But I mean, I totally respect it. But we love foraging. And the other day we found snails. um, And my ass was like... Oh my God, babe, let's go forage these snails. And yeah. legit, we were foraging the snails and then we cleaned them out, purged them, like gave them clean food and yeah, all that yeah. stuff so they could shit out all the bad toxins <laughs> for the last week. And literally yesterday night, we cooked the snails. No, we <laughs> ate the shit out of them. But the problem was, oh, I, I got garlic butter and oh, everything. Yes, girl, we made some Proper. garlic. Oh, oh, yes, we made some butter with that parsley and garlic. Uh, and oh my God, we added those little onions, the shallots. Oh, it was so. Oh, so oh freaking God, good but the problem is i had anxiety because i got attached to the oh. snails and i would felt sick for the last two days before we ate the meal because i felt so guilty oh, no. but then in the at the same time you know how you were talking about how you want to eat you know well produced food yeah. and it's um it sustainable Exactly. You just kind of want to make sure the energy you put into it is like that kind of energy they're getting in return. And also, it's like why you eat happy eggs. You don't eat eggs that come from chickens that have been cooped up their whole life because of all that bad energy. Yes. It's a philosophy, but like all of that toxicity goes into, I mean, and and it's one of those things that goes back thousands of years, this fear of having fear pollute food. Yes. Um, this idea that like you never wanted animals before you slaughtered them to know you were going to slaughter them because fear yes. taints meat and things yes. like that. So. I mean, it, I guess that's a whole idea of being kosher, right? Is that like, it's kind of like that in a way I, where it's I'm like. i such a bad ex-Jew. I like couldn't even tell you. <laughs> okay, I'm like, I'm like, like girl, I grew up in a Jewish town. So I'm like, I have no excuse to not know this. So I'm, I'm not raised kosher. So because <laughs> of that, I've always looked at it and like. Been like what? So here's if you understand. This also gets back to like the the Buddhism thing at the beginning. Yes. How I knew that I was we were going off the Jewish rails is like my parents, <laughs> my mom's mom converted. My dad was raised pretty strictly, so he really wanted to have like Judaism in the household. Mm. And then he traveled a lot for work because he was a software engineer. And he was, I started having to remind him of when the holidays were, which Aww. I started taking to it because I was like, Dad, if you can't remember when fucking Hanukkah is, we're not celebrating. <laughs> oh That's not fair. I was like, I don't feel like I don't agree with the tenets of Western religions, so it's just not suiting me. We're doing this for you, bro. Like I'll stand there and Baru Hatad annoy it for you, but like, I'm not. I'm not feeling it. And then I'll never forget. I was like 14, and oh god, no, I would have had to be older than that. I would have had to been maybe like almost 18. We had Hanukkah, and I'm looking at it. It's like first night of Hanukkah. We're lighting the candle. In the other room is like an eight-foot Christmas tree. And for the first night of Hanukkah, they give me like a Buddhist meditation set. Why? And I'm like, guys, we got to talk. Like, there's some confusion happening in this household right now. And I don't really know what to do with it. I was like, I love you guys, but this is messed up. Like, this is super messed up. We are now like... One, I just wanted to have the Christmas tree because it's pretty and gifts. And then it's like, why are we lighting the candles? And then you give me a Buddhist set. And and I was like, so, we need to have like a quick come to Jesus talk. Oh, my I'm God. Like, I love you. Right? Holy shit. That was amazing. I'm sorry, but that was pretty amazing. Holy crap. I love that you called them out for that. You're like, nah, yo asses need to sit down right now. That is pretty amazing on and off practicing of like we did we did passover and hanukkah and that's pretty much all okay so basically you eat bacon oh yeah though okay Okay. this is the problem though i've like 
I recently <laughs> found out that pigs apparently like mourn in much the same way that elephants do and that they have like a, a deep what? emotional what? circuitry and it's disturbing. Wait, are to you me serious? Yeah. Apparently, uh, like, pigs actually have, like, an intense empathy <gasps> response, oh, fuck, and no. it bothers me, because I was like, don't take this away from me, you guys. I'm How really, like- dare you? You just ruined almost <laughs> every Asian meal for me. I was up in, I was down in LA meeting with, I have a couple of screenwriter friends, we were working on a project, and we <sighs> were out, and I was all up on my high horse about octopi, that I don't eat octopus, because octopus... They're like one of the most intelligent. Get the fu- Are you serious? I love grilled octopus. Are you serious right now? Octopus is like up there with dolphins. What? They have the ability to like basically do Rubik's Cube. Like the, the like, do- uh, they give them, like they're so clever that if you don't continually occupy them, they always get out of their enclosures in what? like, you know, aquariums. And so the keepers will put treats inside of puzzle boxes. Are you joking me? Increasingly more difficult because octopi are incredibly clever. And they also are like, again, empathetic. And they have like, they can feel senses in every one of their suckers. And they're just like incredibly complex creatures. And so I won't eat octopi. Oh my God, girl, you just ruined the best. Oh my God, the izakaya meals for me. Oh. I'm all up my high horse about it. And the one of the screenwriters I'm out with, like a young, beautiful gay boy. And he's like, <laughs> oh, but you eat pig. And I was like, uh, yeah, pork is amazing. <laughs> and he was like, and he goes off about all the complexities of pigs. And I was like, fuck you, bro. Like, oh, no. Oh, my. Like, pig from me? Are so, you serious, girl? You just ruined two of my favorite I meals. I, still eat pig. I can't help it. I, it's, it's, I'm. I mean, like, and the okay, here. are also like our closest genetic um, compatriots. Like, that's you can have a you can they can use pig hearts and people and stuff. And like, oh fuck, I I forgot they, about that. It's Shit. so like a genetic proximity issue, <sighs> and I just am like, but pig is the best one. Oh no, are you joking me right now? Okay, this is the thing. I was telling Moonlin, I'm like, we were talking about like because we we love animals, and yeah. I'm like, it would be so cool. I'm like, I'm the type of person who'd love an alpaca in my backyard. Oh, yeah, I'd yeah. love a fucking fluffy chicken, a silky chicken. I'd love a oh, Flemish I, giant I, I rabbit. Silky chickens in the summer. Wait, what? Yeah. Are you serious? So you and Moonlin just have to come to France. <gasps> oh my God. Day. Yes. Are you kidding? Because oh my God. They have like, yeah, they're, they're getting silky chickens. In oh the my summer. God. Okay. Don't get upset at our Oriental medicines, but, um, Chinese medicinal soups yeah, yeah. have silky chickens, the black chickens in their soup. Aww. And I, mean, I was you know, devastated. Chicken, so I feel like I'm really not in a place to judge anything <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Like, I, I want the chicken to have a nice life, but there's no world in which I am not eating chicken. Like, I can't. I'm sorry. Like, there's I know. I know. I, I chicken I, to have like a great couple years first. Right. I know. I'm not not eating chicken okay see okay so here's the thing when i'm like i do believe in in having the animals have a wonderful life and here's my issue is where i'm like i had this conversation real uh, um uh lately where i realized i'm like holy shit i'm eating all of this meat and here we are talking about like you know especially my family where my mom said something about like oh my god oh that's so so sad like you know like butchers the the life of butchers where it's like there's so much bad karma and sin on their hands like tarnished they're very like yeah 
And and here's my thing. And I was like, wait, hold up. Let's step back for a second. You know that they are, quote unquote, taking our sins from us by killing for us so that yeah. we can eat, even though my mom is vegetarian, so I can't really give her too much shit for it. But yeah. I'm like, for people like me, I'm like, you can't come at me. Like my youngest sister wanted to stop eating pigs. She wanted to stop oh. eating meat overall. And my mom's like, no, you need it for your nutrition. I'm like, here you are saying that your children need to have meat. But then you're saying that we're not allowed to kill our own food, but you'd rather have the butcher do it. But you're saying, Oh God, the butcher is going to be the one having all the negativity. You can't do that. No, you can't play that. You can't play that shit with me. I'm like, that's just exactly what I said. I'm like, I do believe that, you know, I had a friend, um, I knew a while ago, she said that when she was sent to Israel to, to hang out with her grandparents, the grandparents made her take the live chicken and learn how to prepare it for a meal. At first, it was my first time hearing this. So of course I was you know, ignorant and a little judgmental. And I was like, ew, oh my God, ah, how could you kill something? And yeah. then, but here's the thing. She's like, Yin, you know that obviously someone's got to kill the chicken, right? Mm-hmm. But knowing that it goes through her hands and you know you can do it in a humane way, you need to understand that and the energy that goes into it too. You're so much more grateful for the food that's it's in front true. of you. You're not wasteful. Some people are going to be a sieve and some people are going to yes. be a pot you know yes yes and that's the thing that was my whole thing about the snails i was like okay i was the one who said let's forage these snails we've been feeding it for a week and taking care of it taking a bath for it every single day and that exactly purified it and i'm like i can't now just chicken out and not do the rest you know i'm like i need to understand if i'm able to eat chicken have pigs slaughtered for me have beef slaughtered for me and fish slaughtered for me i need to be able to do this in a respectful humane way i fucking hate people who are like Oh, yeah, I put salt on the snail and the slugs to see them writhe in pain. I'm like, are you crazy? Fuck those I'm like, and then what are you going to do after that? And they just throw it out. They're like, oh, they're buggers and they're pests for my garden. So I'm like, are you joking? That's an animal that's in pain. Like for me, I made sure to knock it out by, I heard you put in the fridge first so I could get, you know, tired and it slows down and it sleeps. Then I put in the freezer super quick to make it really like cold and really unconscious. And then you have to make sure the pot, I know it sounds a bit much, for a lot of people listening but then you make sure the pot is super boiling so once yeah, they're in has to be instant. they're barely like, conscious I don't eat lobsters because I mean like that's a slow death yes that's the thing and I'm just like oh my god and I realized yesterday last night it it did make me a little sick to my stomach because again I started to see them like pets because I get attached really quickly to and it doesn't matter to any animal I get really sad when I kill insects too. I was like if you guys get chickens we're not eating those chickens oh yeah like, oh no no oh no no I, I cannot eat chickens. no 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 I am not preparing no chickens I am preparing no pigs I want yeah. a pet pig but I'm like even though I have a pet pig I would probably still eat pig I know it's kind of bad but just um look away. Look away. I, I know just look away don't look at me eating your brother or your cousin or your mom right now um, why well, I don't feel bad about eating chickens is chickens eat chicken and oh. i'm like you little carnivorous shits are I you don't serious feel bad about that no chicken eat chicken what wait wait wait, wait. you mean when they see another chicken if they're no, dead no, no, they'll like, eat it or you'll prep them, it if the feed you give to chickens as chicken <gasps> Oh shit! I did not know that. Oh my god, they're cannibals! <laughs> yeah, they're cannibals. So I don't actually feel guilty as long as the chickens had a good life. Okay, okay, you did make me feel better. Okay, you made me feel better. Okay, thank you so much for that. I do feel a lot better. 
I am forgiving you for all of your chicken sins. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. But now this pig situation is another story and I have I to think right? about it. I don't even want to go down the rabbit hole of research. I, I can't. I I kind of don't want to. I'm a little worried. I heard they're amazing pets and they're, they're smarter than dogs. I actually want a pig as a pet. I, lo- I have always had dogs and cats. I Aww. love dogs and cats. I know. My, like, three of my pets live in France with my parents and have a better yeah, life than I do. That's uh, so cute. Oh, my God. And, and like I love pets. I don't actually have any desire to have a pig as a pet. I just want to be able to eat them without a guilty conscience. And if someone could tell me how to do that, I'd be happy. <laughs> I think honestly, I guess at the end of the day, it's like knowing for me, I think now, especially like having these conversations and realizing that they are truly if they're going to be killed for food they need to be it needs to be done in a humane way i know it's like how humane can death be right there really is no yeah. true humane way but if there's a way to just knock them out as good as possible i know i, think I part know of it is self-awareness though yes i think like to take responsibility for what you're doing the way that a butcher does take responsibility for the debt of that whether it's just the task or the karmic um, aftermath, like yeah. there's something to be said for being cognizant of yes. what you're doing. Yes. And I, I do know that, you know, when I was prepping the snails, I don't know if like, I wonder if there are some butchers who, butchers who do this, um, with their own work, but I was saying little prayers. Like I realized I'm like, I know I'm trying to find Buddhism on my own, but the prayers that I was learning growing up, I kept saying it over and over either out loud or in my head or in my heart. And I just was literally thanking them, thanking them for their lives and for giving us food yeah. to eat and that they sacrifice themselves. I mean, that's a very universal thing to, to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I, I guess in a way it's almost like, right? This is the thing that pisses. Oh, I'm gonna have to cut this out again because it's gonna go off on Christianity. But like, <laughs> this is the thing that bothers me so much is that that idea of like I would rather sit down and thank the food yeah. than thank the Lord. Yep. You know what I mean? Like yes. I like give the animals their own due there. Yes, give them like, credit. They're the ones who went through the pain. I was just saying they're the ones that gave the life. Yes. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, everybody's saying like, you got to thank Jesus because he gave us his life and all that stuff. This is what they preach. Right. So I'm like, all right, then put that towards the animals. Like you put that much. I'm like, I ain't eating Jesus's flesh right now. I'm eating a pig's flesh. And I feel guilty about it. I know. Right. I'm like, listen, we, none of us are going to be eating Jesus anytime soon. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? We should talk about books and stuff. Like. Right? Seriously. But yeah, I know. We can like totally go off. But thank you so much for that. But you are so awesome. And yes, I'm like, holy, I just realized we're an hour and a half in. And I'm like, I can go on for another three hours with you. Friend. Can we just be Girl, friends? Girl, we are already friends. Why okay. you got to ask for permission? I'm Come like on now. I'm like on the 88 Cups of Tea website being like, how do I be this person's friend? Oh I love you on Twitter because I was like, I just want to be this person's friend. Oh my God, girl, we're already friends. You know, you're right. already invited to I one of our dinners. I because I hate people. But oh like, my God, I, hate, I like, love you. People, but I, I want to be your friend. I kind of feel like I'm the same way. I kind of not no? the biggest fan of people like right away. I'm just like, I think I just like to be on my own and I'm like pretty yeah. much recluse. But then and you find kindred souls and you're yes. like, I like this person. I feel yeah. like a sink. Like yes, a rhythm. I know. I, you know what? And again, you were talking about past lives. I'm like, yeah. and I was like, okay, you're probably gonna think I'm fucking crazy for saying this, but I do feel like as soon as we started talking, I'm like, I feel like we probably were family in our last right. life. Or I feel something. like there's a, like, and one, I don't think you're crazy for saying that. Cause I get that way. 
yeah. I've had that thing several times in my life with people where I'm like, I have known you before, yes. but I feel like I just feel very comfortable with you very quickly. And that <gasps> oh. is not a thing that I normally feel with people. Oh so. my God. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks. I feel the same way. No, seriously. I don't usually end up into the conversation like this deeply, this quickly. So I have to say a lot has to do with you and also our karmic past. And Clearly. obviously we were family or something in the past. And yeah. I'm just going to say like that we're already friends because we've already been family in our last yeah, lives. So I like it. I like it. Go. Well, there we go. There we go, girl. We have, to, we have to at some point share a meal. I know we will. We got to break bread. And I'm telling you, yeah. Jews and Asians, we're always besties <laughs> of some way, somehow, some sort. So we will make it into each other's lives. I promise okay. you. And when your butt is out in LA, you let me know yeah. and I'll let I you will. know because Moon and I will be traveling a little bit. Uh, we might be heading to Nepal at the end of April to source teas for her shop. Um, uh-huh. And then... <laughs> and then to Taiwan. But then after that, we're hoping, fingers crossed, um, this spot that she basically can go through with, this restaurant spot. Um, we just recently found out that the the people that want, and this is like between me and you, um, that wanted her to take over the lease, uh, uh-huh. ripped her off over $120,000. So now it's like a whole conversation we had to have with Moon's team of her lawyer, her broker, her family, friends, and family who are in the res- restaurant business who own multiple businesses they're like you have to understand if you go through with this deal you only by the time you do construction with this 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 spot this this commercial property you're going to need construction that by the time you open you have barely a year and a half left and normally with new leases you get five years minimum but you're coming into a situation it's bad like how are you going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars back in barely two years. So we found this out after they pushed her into signing and posting a sign on their property. Um, so it's now trying to get out of the situation and seeing if they're going to come to terms with realizing that we know they fucked her over and yeah. them to admit it and to also be like, okay, we'll take your your value of what you think is fair for our space and we'll go with it or they're going to walk or moon's going to walk. So we're going to see what happens, but you know, there's a lot of stuff there too. Cause it's difficult where yeah. it's like, fuck, this has been nearly a two, like a year and a half, nearly two year process of finding uh-huh. this place Sorry. and starting all over again. But yeah. You know, it's like all this happening is like insane. But once that all settles, like I know we're going to be back in L.A. There's in no time. I mean, we're there often, especially now with her shop and the meetings back and forth. But yeah. one of these days when you're in L.A., let me know. And if we're in it town, will. we got to grab dinner at the very least. OK, yeah. so um, yeah. but I cannot wait to just. God, I wish I met you seriously back when we were still having, we were living in that downtown place in LA where she Uh was doing the supper clubs. You would have fucking loved it. Like, like, I just love the whole idea of it. It just speaks to me. Yes. Yes. It was so much soul and girl. We had ribs, ribs Uh. for days. And she did some like Asian style ribs influence where she put the Tasu sauce over these delicious Southern style ribs and these mashed Uh. potatoes with, do you know, uh, what's it called? Furikake, that Japanese thing that you you sprinkle on, it has like seaweed and oh, yeah, like yeah. umami taste. Yeah, she sprinkled that yeah, and did like a, a girl. It was a miso flavored mashed potatoes. Oh, oh my fucking god! Holy miso shit! Miso mashed potatoes. Yes, girl. Okay. You would not when have I gone home. 
She is going to have to make me so I Oh, so she will so, make yeah. you food. I tell you, oh, she will God. make you food. I I promise you she's going to make you amazing food and we're going to break bread or break whatever food that we have, like some tofu or something. Girl, you are not going to go home. I'm telling you. And you're going to have an amazing time. But I'm so excited for this. I really do feel like we've it's known like each other in our last life. I know. I know. This is like, this is unexpected, but right? very, very well, pleasant a surprise. A day is a good day if you can come out of it with a new friend. Right? I do agree with that. Seriously, good conversations over imaginary good food that we were kind of salivating talking about pigs and whatnot um but you know what you're amazing and i will like i know it's like an hour and 35 minutes you're so (laughs) fucking cool um seriously thank you so much for all this time by the way um but let me jump in you know what i'm worried that um we just go to reader questions yeah do you mind because i'm worried we won't have time for that i do i'll feel so fucking bad um okay so I'm sitting here. I've been taking up your time too. Girl, please. This is this is my friend making time. Don't mess <laughs> with my friend making time, okay? I got one and I'm gonna keep it. So don't I mess with it. it. Thank I you. Um, all right, like so the universe hands me <laughs> Right? I know me too. Thank you, universe. Right? Um, it's all that good energy from preparing the snails, you know. Exactly. It's all good. <laughs> They're like, here are the little angel snails. Here's a friend for you. Um, thank you for taking baths for us for the last seven days while you Thanks. cook our asses. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, so our, our listeners were freaking incredible. They got really excited in the Facebook group. I have never seen anything like this. Let's kick it off with Megan LaCroix. First of all, she says, please tell you that she says hi from all of us, a community. Megan's been with us, by the way, from like day one of the podcast being out there. So it's pretty cool to see how far we've come all together as a community and and she's this megan this megan listener is really dope like she's really awesome in that she's very um she's all about the community she's all about everybody else so i love i'm very grateful for her but yeah so she said that she'd love to know your process and your tips for creating writing morally ambiguous um ambiguous characters because you do it so well Oh, well, thank you, Megan, first of all. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm definitely always drawn to outsiders more than insiders as protagonists. And to be honest, I think it comes with the fact that I think that a story is only as good as its villain. And so at some point I was like, wait a second, why do I have to have a hero then? Like, why can't I just take the person that you would root for as the villain and find a way to make another villain too? Nice. And so then you end up getting two villains instead of a hero and a villain. And it's just in the end, what it comes down to is, everybody wants something in this world. Mm -hmm. And I think I, what I actually hate most are flat villains or villains that are just in it for like world domination or whatever it is. I think that it's so much more compelling, whether you're writing an anti-hero or a antagonist, a villain or a protagonist, this idea of can you create a person with self-interest, right? Can Mm -hmm. you make it personal? Mm-hmm. Because that's what makes people relatable, right? They don't have to be likable. They have to be sympathetic, meaning you have to understand why they do, you nice. know, what they do. And so for me, I sit down with each and every one of my characters and I ask, what do they want and what do they fear? And those two questions and the answers to those questions inform the entire character. And I think I try to write what would come off as morally ambiguous characters because I'm interested in writing real people. And the Mm -hmm. fact is the vast, vast majority of us have self-interest and operate from a place of Mm -hmm. Mm self-interest. And so I think 
I actually find characters to be more unrelatable or at least less realistic when they operate from just this place of selflessness, especially if they're women. Nothing mm -hmm. frustrates me more than the idea in fiction, especially in YA um, or in fantasy, that if you give a woman power, she must also be completely willing oh, yes. to it. Oh, yes. Right? Preach, girl. Well, I mean, men don't have to do that. Yes. But this idea that, like, if you make a woman strong, you must also make her selfless. And I'm like, no, that's bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. when I was 16, I would have burned the world down to be happy. Yes. You know? Yes. This idea that you're going to give a 16-year-old girl power and the, and the thing she's going to do is she's going to save the world with it at her own cost. No. No. <laughs> One, I don't buy it. And two, I think that as we get older, our self-interest codifies. Yes. And, and so that's who my characters are. My characters are people who are operating from a place of self-interest. And I, I free them in one way or another. I make them less intertwined with other people, at least at the start, so that they can truly embrace that self-interest in the beginning. And then what it becomes over the course of my books is an exercise in moderating self-interest, not in being willing to give it all up for the sake of another person. I don't like that idea. I like the idea of how do you compromise? What happens when you take a person who has been given free reign to be self-interested, to be mm. selfish, and then you introduce something into their life that they care about? They don't have to care about it as much as they care about themselves, but what, all you have to do is introduce doubt into a person's head. And that's how you get an ambiguous moral character. Damn. You know, black and all white. Damn, you just threw it down. <laughs> Shit. Go, Victoria. Holy crap. Your characters are very delicious, I must add. So oh, thank, you. thank you for that. Megan is probably like mind blown right now. Um, that was. <laughs> Once I start talking, I have like no ability to hold the thread. So if I stop, I'm screwed. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. I hit the end of the thought and hope that it makes sense the way it did when I started the thought. Oh, well, how lucky are we? Because holy shit, it did make sense and it was <laughs> oh, so well so spoken. Cute. It was. Freaking phenomenal. Thank you for that. Um, wow. And I feel like you knocked out a few other people's questions too while answering that. Being efficient. Damn, look at you, girl. <laughs> Dang, you one of us Asian people, let me tell you. My <laughs> goodness. That's right. Um, amazing. So the next one is from Joshua Clark. He's so excited. Um, he said, this is awesome. Love Victoria and her work. Knowing that Victoria writes adult YA and middle grade books, which age group voice is most natural to write or find? Finds the easiest to tap into then to go with that which do you find more challenging to find the right voice oh that's such a good question also right? thank you joshua for not phrasing it as which do you like writing more mm -hmm. because that so often gets phrased in that way and it's frustrating to me because obviously i like writing all of them that's yes. why i do it um and each and every one of them is me writing to a specific version of myself a specific mm -hmm. age so my middle grade novels are just me writing for 10 year old me or 12 year old me and my YA novels are me writing for 17 year old me and my adult novels are me writing for whatever age I'm at at that point. To that end, the adult voice is the easiest one for me or the most natural mm. um, simply because it, it's just who I am right now. And as I'm writing to the age that I am currently at, it requires fewer removes Whereas, you know, when I'm writing a middle grade series I'm working on right now, it starts up next year, I think. It's not been announced yet, so I can't say what it is, but <laughs> I, I always have to remind myself of that. But uh, as I'm writing that, 
obviously I'm writing to 10 to 12 year old me and I'm still very much that person, but it's an iteration I haven't been now for almost 20 years. And so it's hard. I have to adjust my voice a little bit. YA is the least natural for me because I kind of jumped straight from like 10 to 85 in my head. (laughs) Like I very much was like the 15 year old that was like, get off my lawn. (laughs) So I've never been um, like a hyper emotional person. And while I understood at that age, the sense that the world was ending, the sense that like everything was a zero or a 10, um, I still was never very in tune with my own emotions at Mm -hmm. that age. Mm -hmm. And so it's, hard for me to sometimes dial up the emotion as much as as is expected in YA. Mm. Um, that's not to say to dial up the romance something, but to dial up the intensity. Gotcha. Uh, so for me, the YA voice is the least natural, the thing I have to work at most. The adult voice is the most natural, specifically Vicious, which is my super villain story, is basically autobiographical. Like that book uh, is By auto- the way, holy crap. Um, a lot of our listeners are in love with Vicious. FYI, oh, I thought you should yeah. know that. It's yeah. just a supervillain origin story. And it's about like <laughs> That's two awesome. medical school students that discover the key to superpowers are near-death experiences. And they set out to manufacture their own superpowers using their own suicides and resurrections. Holy shit. And um, it's very dark. And it goes off this idea that like, I hated the idea of the word superhero, because it's this idea that you give a person powers, and suddenly they become heroic. And I'm like, no, imagine you're a real person. And you've just been given superpowers, you don't become a superhero, you become a real person with superpowers. And yes. you would use those powers for all of your fickle, and like, selfish needs you oh fuck it yeah it's so true mess with you you would yes. use it to get ahead in your job yes you, would use, you don't suddenly become superman you don't yep. have a moral imperative to go with your power and that's the whole idea behind vicious is like what happens when you don't become a superhero yep. you just become a bad person mm, i love that girl you are some genius right here. All right. We get it. You're brilliant. Okay. Uh, I got nothing else. Right? <laughs> I got nothing. Else. Oh my God. That was so fucking good. Oh my gosh. Um, all right. And if you don't mind, I'm going to do a part two to Josh's question, by the way, he's also, he seems, I'm assuming that he follows your work or follows you on social media because he says he's curious how you find time to be such a voracious reader and write as many projects as you do. And by the way, he's really, excited for your episode so just letting you know oh yay um i yeah so i do a thing where because it's not hard enough writing books um <laughs> i also read about 100 books a year Holy and, shit. and like most of them are quite large i mean i read a very 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 broad spectrum right so everything yeah. from like nonfiction memoirs and biographies to graphic novels to middle grade YA adult genre adult literary um the the truth is I consider it part of my job Mm -hmm. nothing has made me a stronger writer than becoming a better reader Mm. and it seems and like the the key there is do not just read a hundred books of something you know you love that is not how you become a stronger writer You become a stronger writer by reading broadly, by reading diversely, by reading things which you know you will like and things which you don't think you will like. You become a strong reader by studying things that work and things that don't work, you know? Yes. I like to say I I have this story monster, right? It lives inside my chest. It feeds off of 
input to that creative well. It feeds off of of stories. And I'm not sitting there studying each and every book looking for its structural flaws and strengths. What I'm doing is I'm informing that intuitive sense that you get. The more books you read and the more things you watch and the more things you listen to, the better you become at innately or intuitively telling what works and what doesn't. So you feed this story monster, you make it smart and strong without even trying, and you'll discover that as then you're working on your own projects, you'll have little lights go off in your head that say, mm, this beat doesn't feel right. This, mm-hmm. should, this should be tenser. This should be more of a moment. And what you're doing is you have fed yourself. You have toned all of those muscles, you know? Mm, yes. I truly consider reading to be part of my job. And I'm a full-time writer, and that means I'm a full-time reader. I do not expect everyone out there who is juggling school or work or family to go out and read that many books, but can make time. I listen to books when I'm in the car. I listen to books when I'm going on walks. I listen to books at the gym. I read paper books or my Kindle for probably about 45 minutes a day, and it adds up. Damn. Okay. That is one way to look at it. Cause I've obviously with all the guests on the show, they've of course always say read, 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 but I have never heard anyone break it down like that where, where you're like, no, you're, you don't just read what you love to read. You read things that are out of your comfort zone and that way you can strengthen all the different sides of your writing and love that. You're not, if you're just gorging on one kind of, it's so freaking true. You're not getting any, you're not becoming more rounded. You're not reaching. You're not, you're not stretching. It's like the people who only work on one book and they work on that book for their entire lives. And at some point you have learned everything you're going to learn from writing that damn book. That's true. You have to go write another book now. No, that's so true. No wonder you're so damn good at what you do. Cause you're like strengths everywhere. Damn girl. We get it. You're amazing. Okay. Um, wait, but I do, I I am curious now I'm interjecting with my own question is what, what, I mean, shit, you read so many fucking books. Holy crap. I am such a slow reader. That's why I love audiobooks. but, um, and I'll, I'll listen to it on like, uh, three times the speed. I listen to it at like 1.5 to 1.75. Oh my God. Amazing. Yes. I do. I do enjoy that speed as well. Um, but the thing is I can't, I read so freaking slow. Like I, Moonlin can read a book in like one day finish a book from beginning to end me girl it will take me a you're you're a fast reader i'm not a fast reader oh okay so oh so that's why you you do the 45 minutes of like the actual paper 45 minutes of actual book everything else is audio okay so you and i are more similar in that way okay gotcha okay so you know what there's no freaking excuse for me i have no excuses because you already showed me up and you're like bitch i still got 100 books in a year Boom. And I'm well, like, I got I one book a year. Oh, I God. don't have family. I don't have children. This is part of my like full-time job. And I don't have a television. So I, yeah. when, so, but so that's not to say I don't watch TV, right? So I, I watch everything via my laptop and I, I purchase things like via Amazon or iTunes. The thing is though, because I don't have a television, I don't channel surf. So I mm. watch things with intent. Yes. Okay. And yes. because I watch things with intent, I watch a lot I, I waste a lot less time. I don't mm-hmm. think that watching television is wasting time. I think that channel surfing is wasting time. Yes. So I tend to watch like one show at a time. Mm-hmm. So like right now I'm picking away at Supergirl uh, and rewatching Parks and Rec because my life was feeling like it needed some Leslie Nope in it. Nice. And the point is like because of that, you can skim about 45 minutes a day that someone else might waste 
watching an, an episode of Real Housewives that they're not actually that into. I basically spend that time reading instead. So I give myself like one or two episodes of television a day and then I spend the rest of the time reading. Nice. Okay. That's very, I love that watching with intent. Um, Another one of your quotables for your show (laughs) notes page, by the way. What can I say? I mean, God, just spitting out genius left and right. Calm down. Okay. Um, By the way, you know, when you were mentioning about your middle grade that you, you say you can't talk too much about, I, one of our listeners, I'm scrolling down, Tara Turley Creel mentioned that and just totally jogged my memory. I mentioned it on um, Twitter. said what it is okay so i think i wonder if this is what she's referring to she's like so she asked a few questions but the third part of her question was she said i think i saw on twitter she's writing a middle grade book any info on that and how is it different than her previous writing processes works and then another one of our listeners tia bearden she says you might recognize her um is that she she's been awesome in her community tia wrote the last she heard about was it called the returned oh god yeah that's, oh, okay. Okay. That's the third book in a YA series. Okay. Okay. Because they were meant. Because I wasn't sure which one they were talking about. And then so um, she says that you're she she heard that you're you have like very little time to work on it. Yeah. But she's not sure if she you know remembers it correctly. No, she could be wrong. That's still my stat. Like my status update on the return is still that I just need people to be patient. Oh my god. Well, listen to this. Okay, this is a funny part. I had to read to you. So another listener, Lacey Hogg, jumps uh-huh. in. And she wrote, we should organize a work detail to do all her unwanted chores so she can complete the returned wink face. <laughs> I'd clean Victoria Schwab's house. And then Tara okay. jumps in and says, yes, Lacey, I need that book. <laughs> Haha, I'll even claim toilets to get okay. this process moving faster. Okay. The thing is, and I'll like this. Is basically, <laughs> so the returned is the third book in a series that started with the archive. So it's yes. the archive, the unbound and the return three. This is not just. I had, I've tried to explain it a few times, but again, this is the thing about the internet. Like it, people don't go searching for information or it's not always out there and obvious because it's something that comes up on Tumblr or on Twitter. Right. Um, this is not just about me having the hours in the day to write this books. Yes. I have to, um, put my contracted work first because I have to pay my bills. Yeah. And as much as I would love to just write whatever it is that, you know, people want to read right now. The fact is that I'm contracted, you know, it's my work. The thing is that the archived and the unbound are with Disney Hyperion. That was my very first publisher and I'm not with Disney Hyperion anymore. And it was a, not a great relationship. Right. And so for me, it's, there's several layers to that. There's the fact that it's emotionally incredibly stressful, Mm. even returning to the pro to the series because Mm -hmm. it's got a huge amount of emotional weight to it for me. And it was like one of those things where for the two years after I left that publisher, I would cry at the mention of the series. Right. Oh man. It's one of those things where it's like uh, a bad breakup. It's a very, it was a very abusive relationship led to a very bad. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it's tricky. It's, I need to have the time to do it. I have to do it in such a way that it, not contract breach with any of my three existing publishers because you can't publish anything that's competing work. I'm waiting for, at this point, what we're going to do, I'm waiting for the archived and the unbound rights to refer, to to return back to me. And once the rights for book one and two return back to me, then we can explore the option of republishing all three books together. I don't really have an interest at this point, you know, four years off of just self-publishing it. 
Mm because I don't think that's the best thing for this story. And honestly, I do not have the energy to do self-publishing. That is its own art form. And I am a traditional published author because I do not have the energy. Right. Uh, But like, so for me, the reason I keep asking people for patience is one, it's incredibly emotionally abusive situation, even still to return to. But also I need to wait for the archive and the unbound to come back into my court. Okay, gotcha. Holy shit. I didn't even... I mean, damn, I'm so, number one. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. Holy crap. Because I mean, that reminds me of a, like, I don't have any idea of what that's like per se for my own self with writing and like to get to that point. But for my own worlds, when I came from acting, I was in a very abusive relationship basically with a, an ex manager. Um, so and trust me. <laughs> oh, contracts. Oh, oh, yeah. I was threatened a lawsuit when I had the right yep. to leave. Um, yeah. And they were still threatening. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? I just spent five years of my life with you guys. You didn't do jack shit. And yeah. you had so many opportunities. You let it slip. Yep. You let the ball drop how many fucking yep. times? And I literally could have left when the person who found me in that management office left like two years into my contract. Uh-huh. It was hinted I could have left, but I still felt bad trying to uh-huh. like play this moral high ground yeah. of like, oh, maybe it's better to just stay still because yeah. it's not okay to That's leave. Dude, it's so stupid because I was so new and I was like telling my girlfriend. I was so young. Oh, I was so young. And by the way, found out that they fucking forged my signature, FYI, so that my checks from SAG would go to them. They could oh still God. take commission before yeah. sending it over. And I was like, fuck, Hell no. Free. Once you're out of those situations, it's really hard to revisit them. Yes. It is so hard. I don't have anything against Disney. Like it was, it was an unfortunate situation in which there was a lot of, um, like a lot of moving parts and people left and I got orphaned in the process of it. And it's really unfortunate the way that it all unraveled. Um, it has made me the writer. It has made me the author from a uh, business standpoint that I am today. And as I near 30, I'm very glad to be a, a stronger and more self-sufficient person than I was at the time. Yeah. But it's a painful question because every single time, and again, this is an embarrassment of Richards. I know this, but every single time I announce any form of good news, I get a wave of people who only care about that series Mm. and it's frustrating. And I know that it's frustrating to feel like you haven't gotten a completion for something. I get that too. I want the series to be finished for my own edification and for my own closure. But Mm -hmm. it also means revisiting something that I very much don't want to revisit emotionally. And Mm -hmm. so it's just one of those things where I'm continually asking for patience. It's not like I'm trying to blow off readers. I got very angry a few months ago when I had a reader insinuate that I had just lost interest. They hadn't done their homework. They Mm -hmm. hadn't read any of the, gone back and done any of their research into the backstory. And they just assumed I was blowing off the series because Mm -hmm. other I cared about other series more. And it's not that at all. I care about that series so much. God, it's like talking it's like, about your own children. Like it's yeah. it's like children. It's almost like a Sophie's choice. It's like, no, you you still love this child. It's just like the unfortunate circumstance that it was ended up it ended up being in. And I'm so sorry about that. My God. It's, it's you grow from it because you don't have a choice. It was basically it put me at a point in my career where I almost walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was quite young. It would have been very easy to walk away. It would have certainly been the easiest answer. And had I not been writing vicious, that super villain story on the side as a way to salvage my love of creative process, yeah. I would have walked away, but it just so happened that within the month of 
this all going down with my publisher, I finished Vicious. And I Man. decided to sub it for, and it sold. And it it started an entire new chapter of my life. Thank God. Holy yeah. crap. Well, so, I... And, and now every time I sell a new book, I'm like, ain't going nowhere, bitches. <laughs> That's like, right. Of me. That's <laughs> right. Cheers to that. I'll be cheering you from the other side of the country. Let me tell you. <laughs> like, yes, that's amazing. I love that spirit. It's that positivity. I mean, it's going to keep you going. I think that's amazing. And honestly, I'm truly like so sorry about that unfortunate situation. But also sometimes you just be, got to be like, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. <sighs> so I, just, I am in a much better place than I was when it all went down. Thanks to like, like 10 book deals and yeah, yeah. Some, some film deals and some New York Times bestseller lists. I have a little bit of retrospect. Nice. Um, nice. But, yeah, but again, that is not to put any antagonism toward the askers of that question. I, it, I, it only hurts me because I care so much. Yes. I love that. And I think, I, I think that really helps the listeners too. When they hear this, they're like, Oh, I think there, it's also a lot of these listeners too are writers. Um, yeah as well. So I think it's a whole new perspective that they probably were never aware <laughs> <What>? of. <laughs> right? I'm the asshole that people are like, I want to be a writer. And my very first question, I will tell you this straight up, right? When people <laughs> tell me that, the first thing I ask is, does anything else make you happy? Oh because my God. If it does, do that thing <laughs> instead. And I feel like that's similar to acting where you're yes. like, if you're just like, does, literally does anything else make I you know. happy? Like if, if you love heartbreak and you love rejections and you right. love that kind of love hate relationship and abusive relationship situation, yeah. then okay, go right. for it. Right. I exactly. I give you my blessings. Like, you don't understand. It's just like straight up abusive relationship <laughs> with the creative process. Like, I agree. Oh my God. Not gentle. Writing is beautiful. Everybody should write. Publishing yes. is hell. Yes. And you should engage with it at your own risk. And something that I say to that extent as well is like, there's a lot of fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. I'm a very, very firm believer that rejection exists in this industry, not only to test whether your craft is ready, but to test whether your ego is. Yes. Like I you agree. have got to embrace rejection. Yes. I still get rejected all the time. It's a sign that I'm pushing myself, that I'm stretching and putting myself out there. There's no point in this game at which rejection ceases to be a factor. And so if you're in the early stages of writing, become extremely acclimated and get used and find a way to cultivate stubborn hope. Because if you get shaken easily by rejection, this is not an industry for you. Yep. I agree. I agree. I'm like, seriously, I'm like everything you're saying. I'm like, girl, you are preaching about acting life. There we go. Keep it going. Yes. It's vulnerability of having to be judged. Yes. On a piece of yourself. Yes. When you're showing up at the best of yourself as well, you know, and knowing that these opinions, it's not just yourself. It's all these other people and you're part of the larger machine that's happening. And this is, this is show business. This is publishing is like show business. I'm sorry, but it is. It's Um, business. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that tough love. I think that's very much needed. I'm all about tough love. Like I grew up with a lot of tough love, trust, <laughs> trust. So I'm very used to it. So for me, I'm like, this is just real talk. But for some people who may not be used to this, I know it can be tough. Love, I'm sorry. It's a little, yeah. 
No, but it said with love. Like, exactly. It how you exactly. It. How you cut your it's teeth it's on not, it. you're not saying it with like a threat into like damaged no, no, dreams. No. no, you're saying it with absolute love. And-, and I had an author get really up in my face one time when I said that I asked aspiring writers that like, they were like, how could you do that? This is the best industry in the world. And I'm like, that is an unrealistic mm. thing you've just presented. Like yeah. this is, this is, that is not a kindness. Yes. Like, I, is, like this is not an industry on kindness. This is a tribe. Yes. And you earn your way into this tribe, not by getting published, not by being in movies. You earn your way into this tribe by not quitting. Yes. I agree, girl. This is the kind of preaching I'm all about. Hey, that's right. Okay, so let's jump into the next listener question. I know that was very much appreciated, and everybody's probably nodding their heads right now listening to that. So thank you. Like, what a bitch. No, they're like, damn, this is the kind of Jewish mama I've been waiting for. Yes, or Tiger Mama. Love it. Uh, all right, so next listener question from Alyssa Von Helms. Love her name, by the way. Um, what pre writing things? Do you get yourself in the mode? Uh, does she do? Oh, let me reread that. <laughs> what pre-writing things does she do to get herself in the mode? Do you get up at 4 a.m., drink coffee? Do you always write after dark, nibbles on candy? I mean, we kind of covered this where you're just yeah. flexible well, and I, do whatever you want. Tea, I always have to have a cup of tea. I don't yes. actually, I don't, I do not eat and work at the same time because it's the only time I build in my breaks is when I'm eating, right? So Uh, when I'm eating, that's when I'm watching something on Netflix. Like that's when I am giving myself a break. Also because like I don't – like if I have a – if I had a thing of Honey Nut Cheerios at hand <laughs> while working, I would eat the whole thing of Honey Nut Cheerios. I wouldn't even think about it because it's an oral fixation when you're working, right? Yes. So I try to just have a cup of tea. Um, I hate to admit to this because it really shouldn't be this way. Usually, I've got to get dressed. Like, it's oh. not like there are people who are like, I write in bed. Like, I have to treat it like a job in that, like, sometimes to get myself going in the morning, like, I go, I walk to the coffee shop. I put, I have to put on clothes and, like, treat it like a job. Now, I'll put, I'll, I'll get in PJs. Like, I am the person that, like, strips naked at the door. Nice. Like, I'm the same way. Off. Like, get the bra off, get the pajamas yes. on. But that's an evening tactic for me. I can't mm. treat that as a morning tactic or else I never get started. I love that. And by the way, what tea do you like to drink? Okay, totally changes over the course of the day. I'm like a complete tea snob. My mom is English, so it's it's in the blood at least. I start with a really strong English or Scottish breakfast tea. I drink my tea with nothing in it, by the way. I'm, nice. I'm the same way. I like straight up pure and tea. And that's how you can tell if it's good tea. Yes. <laughs> and then over the course of the day, I switch to either like um, like a China green tips mm-hmm. or sometimes a peppermint, depending on how I'm doing. And then I end with chamomile. Okay. I want to I want to um, um, recommend Taiwanese yeah. oolong tea. Oh my and god, I love oolong. I fucking love oolong tea. I it go is... from like um like a strong strong Chinese black to a oolong to a Darjeeling. Nice, nice. I just like I. Okay, love, so you I, like the very pungent, very oh, thick, yeah. earthy taste. I'm the same way. Have you had? I drink tea like coffee. So for there me, it go. can't taste like something in water. It has yes. to taste like robust yes then that means i think you would like poor if you haven't tried that yet never tried that okay poor is very heavy very it's p-u dash e-r okay so poor it really helps from what i hear also helps to lower high blood pressure um and also high 
cholesterol. So it has a very dark, earthy taste. And it's very, I'm not sure, because I know there's like black tea is different from medicinal tasting. I'm not sure how you feel about oriental medicinal tasting teas. I'm not super big on flavor. Okay. Like I like my teas to taste like to be on the earthier end of the spectrum. Okay. This is going to taste a little bit like medicine peach or rooibos or anything like that like i'm not so much in that vein yes okay you know what you might be okay with poor okay um i think you'll still you would still love oolong more but poor is something to try out because if you love oolong then definitely stay with oolong it's fantastic oolong if you get really great ones um like really like nicely plucked ones like at right at the start of spring from taiwan i mean you're gonna fucking love that but just try puer because it is good for your health just something to be aware of and you could change things up a bit you know just have because those can get expensive though so be careful with that but you got to get good ones because a lot of people pretend like they're they're legitimate puer and puer is very difficult because they say it's from it's supposed to be from really old hundreds of year old tree uh-huh. uh, trees in china but sometimes people fake it because you can't really tell really yeah how far back no, these trees have been grown you know definitely all right i'm definitely gonna have to check that out and i just my my needs i need some more oolong in my stash yes okay i'll i'll look up some oolongs let me talk to my Sorry, girlfriend so and just have any good recommendations yes i'm gonna talk to moonlin because she knows all about the oolongs and if there's like specific names because i know her mom bought over some really it, really incredible oolong and the problem is is we don't know the name in english and you have yeah. to buy in taiwan so let me talk to moonlin and yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you about that because i do we're all like tea fanatics here by the way her shop is the thing that's going to be like so it's a tea and beer shop oh my so, god and like with japanese taiwanese oh, fusion I food i know i know i'm like girl it is up your alley so you already found your home in la just fyi oh, i'm so excited i know i'm excited too are you kidding i'm like star over here but um but yeah i'm very excited to introduce you to those teas but i'll talk to moonlin i'll email you and follow up with the recommendations for sure um okay so moving on to all right who do we have next we have we have amanda christie Connolly. she says oh man she has so many questions but to start with how do you approach writing with the ups and downs of a mental health condition and find ways to channel that into your work also What tips and tricks do you have for nailing the voices of characters in multiple points of views? And don't worry, I can ask it again, but let me know okay, which one. Well, the mental health one, because, right, like mental health is usually an obstacle, not a not a boon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I think one of the most important things with mental health and with writing, if there's a really interesting overlap here of self-examination. Yeah. So often to be a good writer, you actually have to be quite willing to self-examine. Yeah. Because so much of writing is catharsis, whether that's the intent or the subconscious. It's so much of it is us working through something. And so I honestly think it's kind of the same in mental health of um, you can't make concrete progress unless you're open to Mm self-examination and to be really like honest with yourself and to really break things down. And it's the same in writing. And so in a way, you know, the hope is that one can help the other. Mm -hmm. And if you're stuck on one side, you're probably not going to find a whole lot of freedom on the other side. I mean, for me, I just, I struggle with really severe anxiety and circuitous thinking and stuff. And uh, it's day by day. Like it's something where it impedes the creative process sometimes. And then I get angry because 
It's not a thing you can account for. It's hard mm-hmm. for me because I travel so much for work. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot harder for me, actually, than anything else is being on for that much time because yeah. it's just like not wanting to let anybody down. And I have really, I struggle really hard with like panic attacks and stuff on tour, except for me, panic attacks don't look like someone hyperventilating into a bag. Panic, attack, panic attacks look like me being violently ill mm. in a bathroom stall. Everything goes to my stomach. Mm. Everything, which is one of the reasons teas are so important. Yes. But, so for me, um, I have this fear of letting people down. And when you're an author, especially when you're an author who's having like 100 to 250 people come to your book events, there's this idea of holy shit, like people came all the way to see me the worst case scenario because mental illness, it's all about worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. The worst case scenario is I feel ill. And then I leave all of these people disappointed. And then they walk away with resentment. And then they take it out on my books, right? That's the spiral that goes through my head. So Mm -hmm. then I become afraid of feeling ill, which makes me feel ill. And so it's a self-fulfilling problem all over the place, right? Damn. For me, I have to be self-aware. Like I hate to make it reductionist like that, but so much of it is being honest, not only with myself, but with people around me. I have been forced myself to be open about it online, which then leads bookstores to contact me before I do events there to ask if there's anything they can do to make the event easier for me, whether it's positioning me so that I'm not backed into a corner quite literally Mm. or what's giving me a break or, you know, it's making it so that the readers and I are on the same page, right? If we're in it together, because so much of it for me is keeping it secret if I'm suffering and that only perpetuates more trouble. And I think whether you're a touring author, whether you're a person facing down a blank page, the the rules are the same. You have to be self-aware and you have to be honest with yourself and with those that you care about and that care about you because that kind of transparency can save you. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to let people in in that way and to entrust them with that, but but it's important. (laughs) Damn, that was good. That was some real heartfelt rawness <laughs> right there. Thank you. Um, thank you for that. I think that's going to help a lot of the community. Um, I think a lot of them do. It's something that holds them back sometimes when yeah. there's many actually do who do have anxiety. And it's something that is talked about within our community as well. So thank you for and that. This idea that it's a... If they, there's this thinking that it's a lifetime sentence, right? And yeah. in some ways it is. It is something you will fight with forever. But the great lie of both anxiety and depression is that it will never get better, right? That's the right. great lie. The great lie is when you're in that space, you think this is a degenerative condition. It will only get worse, right? I mm-hmm. remember thinking that so vividly so many times of the, my best days are behind me. And that's the psychological trap right? You have to look at it as a roller coaster. There will be lows, but there will also be highs. Mm -hmm. And you cannot get stuck in the perpetuating of the now, right? What you're feeling at that moment when you're at your worst, that is a moment, right? Mm -hmm. And it feels like a forever and it's just a moment, you know? And so sometimes it's just getting yourself to the next moment. (sighs) Thank you for that. Be like a, a softball question, right? No, that was good. That was good because I'm like, because I was diagnosed with depression when I was younger and it's something that 
you know, when, when the lows are really low, you, like you said, you think that that's it, it's just going to get worse. But really, truly, as I've learned, as I got older, it's really just learning to cope and live with it. You know, it's not like, it's not a freaking disability that's going to hold me back. It's just, what is it? What do I need to do for myself in my own way that works for me that just gets me through those little blips and then I'm good. You know what I'm saying? I to call that dark passenger to use a fictional phrase, learn to call it out on the lie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it's about recognizing that there's this part of you that is not all of you. Yep. You know? Yep. I agree. I absolutely agree. You're a whole person and you're also not defined by that either. No, not at all. Yep. Thank you for that. But you're also not weak if you have a day where the most that you can do is human. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like there I still for all of my work will have days, hopefully rare ones, wherein the very most that I can do is get through the day. Mm-hmm. And, and that is not a weakness. A lot I get told, you know, I have a lot of wonderful readers come to my events, many of them who face depression and anxiety. And they look at me and they say, I could never do what you do. I will never be able to cope with my anxiety or depression levels to be where you're at. And I'm like, don't do yourself the disservice. Like one, no mental health looks the same. Mm-hmm. Like we all bear it differently. You mm-hmm. know, we all cope differently, but also it's all a process. It's all a process. And where you're at in your life right now is not a sentence for where you will always be. Mm-hmm. You know, there are ways to make progress and your progress is going to look different than everyone else's progress. But the last thing that you can afford to do if you're facing depression or anxiety is is resignation. Yes. You know? Like don't resign yourself to it. Find the most that you can bear and sit up against that boundary, right? And just try and inch it little by little. Damn, I couldn't have said it better, girl. <laughs> and then I heard your cat going, yes. She's like, yes, mama. <laughs> obnoxious and has like climbed halfway up my bookcase at this point like he's like why are you not giving me attention why are you still talking right now are you serious oh god he's He's so spoiled been on that chat he's like i'm sorry (laughs) how long he's like you know i'm starving here right Right? where's my food where's my 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 catnip and all that stuff he's not subtle oh my god he's amazing um that was the best way to end that part by the way was his voice going yep Right, yep. it's a little mew of agreement. I know that. Was so he was he was letting you know, I approve, Mama. I approve what you said. <laughs> Good job. No, that was awesome, and thank you for that. So I'm going to go to the second part of Amanda's question. Was yep. also what tips and tricks do you have for nailing the voices of characters in multiple points of view? Oh God, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, no, I like genuinely don't. There are questions that's hard for me to answer because I haven't really found words for them. Um, I write primarily in third person close perspective. I used to write in first person and I actually just like, it drove me slightly crazy how hard it was for me to differentiate some specific voices. And I found that I had an easier time differentiating points of view in third person Mm -hmm. because you have, you are still inside the character's head, but you're not so upright against them. Um, so what I was able to do then is play with some linguistic elements. I was able to play with the rhythm and flow of sentences, the way that Victor Vale and Vicious form sentences in his head is going to be very different from anybody else. He's incredibly psychically removed. 
Um, he's very cold and analytical. Uh, Delilah Bard has a very specific writing style that goes with her. So I create a few rules for myself, who uses long sentences, who is formal, who is informal, um, how do they see the world? One of the best examples I can give probably is August Flynn, who's in the Savage Song and our dark duet. He's a young soul-eating monster who is also a musician. And he specifically sees the world in terms of music. Mm. Like he uses as far as, you know, the vast majority of characters rely on sight as their primary sense. And um and they always like re, you know, writing courses always tell you utilize all five senses. Um, yes, but for Chris, textualizes most things in terms of musicality. He goes through the world picking out the notes, and so I know when I'm writing in his voice that when he was walks into a room, when he exercises his descriptive faculties, the thing he's going to process first and foremost is sound. Always, he has very mm-hmm. sensitive hearing, and he's a musician. Whereas. Uh, his counterpart in the story, Kate Harker, has is deaf in one ear. And so for her, mute, sound is a weakness. Like sound is the thing that she is lacking in, in times. And so she becomes very aware of um, when she's not able to hear things. And so I pick different things. You know, we as people move through the world in very different ways. And an artist will walk into a room and assess it one way. A military person will walk into that room and immediately look for the exits, you know? Mm -hmm. And so figuring out your care, like your character's literal perspective on the world, not just writing their POV. You have to come to understand who your character is and what matters to them. You know, Delilah Bard is a thief. She is always expecting to be robbed or conned. She interacts with her environment in a very different way than Kel does, you know? Mm -hmm. And then that translates into when you're writing their point of view. What is simply what is important to these people? Whatever is important to them is the thing that they're going to prioritize in their scenes. Love this. Damn, girl. Leaving everybody speechless put things into words that I don't actually normally put into words. So I'm having to think through it at the same time. Well, then this is ridiculous because it sounds like you've practiced this over and no, over again. Cause you sound perfect. Through it. Uh, well, you sound pretty damn flawless. So, okay. Here's to cheers to making everybody else jealous again, but in the best way possible. It's a oh my God. Well, it's a well done one. Um, but here's the thing I want before going to the next ones. Remember in the beginning, we were talking about like transparency and like how you're very, very open about things. I do want to touch on, I came across, uh, Tia Bearden, she said like she is a huge fan of yours and she's like shown up at like as many as she could. Um, And, you know, we were talking about the transparency and this is the one that I wanted to read to you where she's like, there are so many things that she loves about Victoria, about you, but it's your utter transparency about how hard writing is gives her so much hope and strength. And she says she knows that sounds horrible, but she's uh, that you've accomplished so much and that you make her feel less alone. So I just need to put that out there. Those are from her That's words. Why I do it again. I am not transparent for my edification. I'm not transparent because it makes me comfortable. I don't, it doesn't make me comfortable being transparent. I do it specifically because I entered this business quite young. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first book sold when I was 21, 22 and you know, I'm about to turn 30. So I've been doing it now for almost a decade. And this is an opaque industry. 
much mm-hmm. like the movie industry. Mm-hmm. Um, they tell you nothing. And that's, it's purposeful. Whether it's done with, I don't think it's done with malice, but it's done with intent. It's done to make you as a creator feel like an island. So when something goes wrong, you feel like it's just you. You discount it. And you add to that this notion that we have as an industry, this pressure for authors to always be putting forward only good news. So -hmm. you feel on top of it then like everyone else is a success and you're a failure. You know, you feel like everyone else is just flying high and having an easy time. And you're the only one that for whom this is difficult. And it's maddening. And then I remember I went to an author's retreat, a group of about 25 authors when I was a debut author. And all and all of these people who sat online and just talked about their latest book deals and their foreign deals and their film deals and how wonderful everything was, everyone poured a glass of wine and talked about what shit the industry was. Someone <laughs> of like, wait a second. Like, I've been sitting here miserable, thinking that I'm a failure, and everyone else is on this up curve, and what it is instead is that nobody else was talking about it, right? And everyone was like, oh, but no, you can only put forward the good. You only put forward the good. And I was like, how does that help anyone? Mm-hmm. Like, that might help your publisher, but, like, how does that help your readers? How does that help the aspiring authors? How does that make any of this feel accomplishable to anyone who's not already inside the game. Yeah. And that's why I'm transparent is because it's like, this is a hard industry. It is a dream job, but it is still a job. And if you come into it without the faculties, without the mental and psychological preparation, it will eat you. But if you can come into it, if I can give readers and aspiring writers even a modicum of insight into that and then when they start to struggle they can be like oh but victoria schwab struggles too so Mm -hmm. like then you can know that like this isn't something you overcome this isn't something that is a judgment on whether or not you're good or not this is something we all face together right Mm -hmm. and i stops one person from quitting then it's worth being transparent Yes, absolutely. And okay, along the side of that, Rihanna Winningham, another one of our listeners, she was talking about self-doubt and she wants to know if you felt it. And it's clear that, you know, from our conversation that you have before, but what do you do to get past it? What do you do? And I'm sure Rihanna's probably gone through it herself, hence why she's asking. So yeah, whatever you want to dish out with that. Um, I have this incredible ability to retcon my memory so that in the midst of writing something, it's hell and I feel incapable. And then as soon as it's done, I'm like, that was amazing, guys. That was so much fun. Only I'll start the next project and start bemoaning it. And I'll think, oh, my God, why can't this be easy like the project before? At which point, all of my friends and family will look at me. And will they be like, are you high? And then they will show me the receipts. They will show me the emails and the phone calls and everything that I inundated them with for six months before when everything was miserable. So part of it is honestly just understanding the cycle of lies that your brain tells yourself. I will never escape self-doubt. In fact, the more books I write, the harder it gets to write a first draft. Mm -hmm. The reason being the more aware you are of what's wrong. But the simple fact remains, whether you're writing your first book or your 13th book, which is the one that I just finished, um, you cannot fix a blank page. So it's not about getting over self-doubt and more about the sheer fact that I can't make it better if I don't make something to start with. Yeah. You know, I can I'm going to hate it. 
the whole time I'm writing that first draft, I'm going to hate it. I might forget I hate it for like five minutes at a time. But like most of all, I'm going to hate it. And then the revision process is this narrowing between the idea in your head and the thing on paper and slowly, slowly erasing your self-loathing <laughs> of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, self-doubt is a continuous companion. Now, there's a really important difference between self-doubt and the little red flag in your head that says this book has taken a wrong turn. One of those things you don't listen to and the other one you do. Um, you have a little voice in your head that you train with the story monster technique and you will start to get a gut feeling when the book is gone wrong. That is not self-doubt. That is your brain or your heart or something trying to tell you that you have gone astray. And that part, so much of this business, so much of this process is learning to differentiate between self-loathing and self-doubt and that voice that is actually valid, which is a self-editor. You know, and that just comes with trust that comes with learning your process, learning your voice, learning all of these things. But self-doubt is your albatross. It is your constant companion and you will never get rid of it. And the day that it's no longer there, you have done something wrong. I asked one of my writing heroes a couple years ago, Neil Gaiman. I asked him, I said, do you still feel self-doubt? This is a man who has been published for 35 years, who is one of the science fiction and fantasies, golden children. Yeah, I mean, he's freaking massive, yes. He he said every blank page. Wow. So understanding that it is is part of the tribe, right? You will never get, stop, like it is a waste of time to get rid of self-doubt. What you're trying to do is drown it out with other things. But it's a voice that's going to be there the whole time. Girl, I'm going <laughs> to tell you right now, you better be doing speaking engagements. I know you travel a lot for oh, your book yes. tours. Do you public speaking so much? Wait, you, you don't speak at all? Oh, my, well, I do at my events. My thing is I like this kind of format with question and answer. I cannot get up in front of a crowd and just speak. That shit drives me crazy. <laughs> I don't speak. Also, think of understand. I had such a horrific fear of speaking. Um, when I was 21, when I sold my first book, I had a two year window before it came out and I spent that entire two years becoming comfortable speaking to an invisible audience. I started a YouTube channel and I, that was the only way that I became comfortable doing this. Oh, shoot. Let me, I mean, girl, it sounds like you have gone through some serious media training, like with acting like Disney. I swear to you, it sounds like you have a whole team that's like, like (laughs) teaching you how to talk. Like for us, for this Disney film that I did, they threw my ass into media training and I was not having it. I did not like it. I was like, girl, I was just cast (laughs) as a teenager, but I am not a teenager. I know I may look a little bit like a teenager, but don't come here telling me what to say. But it almost, it was like, it was so crazy. Like they tell you literally how to speak, how to remove the ums, how to flow your, 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 the, the way you say. that's called having an English parent. You don't understand. Like I, so I never got media training. I went to etiquette camp. Wait, what? Like etiquette camp, quote, quotation marks, right? was a great aunt of mine to whom I was shipped off every year for a week and rigidly trained. Oh, so like I was scolded for (gasps) any of those intonational things. I was taught posture. I was taught manners. 
I was, I mean, I am a product of an English upbringing. Oh my Lord. Your parents would not be happy with me being your friend because I am hunched <laughs> over the computer talking oh, no. and saying ums left and right. Oh my I, God. But again, I have like, I have an, it wouldn't actually matter if my father was English. I have an English mom. I have the kind of <laughs> English mom who is lovely and adorable and all of five feet tall. But if words came out of my mouth in the wrong order... Or if I used a word to excess, like one of my words to excess is obsessed. I like becoming quote unquote obsessed with things. I get such a scolding look. Like, oh my God. Vocabulary, <laughs> please exercise your full vocabulary. Like it was, in, it was taught to me in the way of, oh God, what's the one that angers her so much? Hold on. Because I want to <laughs> immortalize this by putting it on a podcast. Uh, God, I can't even remember. It's one of those like that witch kind of issues where oh if you use the wrong one. Oh, oh, it's good and well. Really? I, to the point where it was inundating me so much growing up. If my mom hears someone say good when they mean well, like, how are you doing good? When the right answer to that is how are you doing well? Um, she will like <laughs> verbally correct. Like she will say it correct to the television screen. Are you serious? Or now if I'm in an audience and someone says it, I like mutter under my breath, well, (laughs) because this is how I was raised. Oh my God, I love your mom. I'm hugely flattered by the fact that you would think that I had the comportment to have any form of training. Let me just say, you... You sound incredible. You're so well-spoken. It's insane the way you deliver each answer. I'm not even trying to be nice. And you I'm know, just talking out my ass the girl, whole time. Girl, I wish I could talk out of my ass and sound so damn smooth the whole time too, okay? <laughs> Jesus, my gosh, my goodness. I That is like, I'm, my mind is blown. And I'm just the like- The only thing I have oh. to work hard on, and I failed a little bit on this podcast, I have a sailor's vocabulary oh, and I try so hard not to cuss on I don't cuss in written form like on Twitter it's a <laughs> policy I have um just because one characters are valuable and I have a wide range audience and it's just yes. a rule I set for myself like four years ago like if I'm gonna swear I want it to mean something but in in something like this in just chatting I have the worst oh I mean I'm sure you could tell by now that I'm probably queen <laughs> of cursing. Oh, so, so please. Bad. I'm so bad at it. And I try so hard. I mean, I grew up like apologizing to my parents. And then I'd, <laughs> to them. I'd be like, sorry, I'm going to say this. And then I would be like, mother. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Okay. Well, I have to say sorry to your parents in advance, just in case they are listening in on this. I'm and this whole thing oh my gosh oh my gosh mama schwab i am so sorry <laughs> please forgive my mouth oh, and no, she care about your mouth she oh only cares out of my mouth oh my gosh oh my gosh but you know what we love it here we love it this community loves it and we embrace it and we think it adds to the realness of our I conversations agree. i agree so let me so at least your mom knows you're doing it for a good cause okay so it really <laughs> it does count it does it's it's not oh, for like sure. just for leisure so thank my you my mom have more of a problem with me being talking about being a top shelf gay than she will with <laughs> the stuff that has come out of my mouth <laughs> oh my reading. god I love but, that but your dad won't he's like that's my girl right there raised her right this. don't worry <laughs> oh my god that's so funny oh my goodness oh my gosh okay well I 
I had such an awesome time with that. And don't kill me. And I know we've gone in, into like two and a half hours, <laughs> but we have like two more listener questions. That's fine. That's fine. Um, My chili uh, at this point has like gone to ash. On this <laughs> oh my God. I forgot. No, about, I stirred it like an hour ago. Whatever. Are you? Oh my God. Do you want to just go check that your turkey didn't evaporate? Oh no, it's fine. It's oh all my god. Oh my god, I feel so. This is bad. why I need, I need a gay Asian girlfriend. See, there and we go. And also, girlfriend. you should stop taking your food out of the crock pot. My god, I know, I know. <laughs> Lessons I haven't learned. Seriously, now, come on. Okay, well, you'll learn after <laughs> your food burns and evaporates know, from this okay, conversation. Okay, done and done. All right, so we have, um, we have Vanessa Andrew. She said, oh, my God, I love her book. So exciting. And we recently had Beth Revis on the show. And Beth mentioned in her episode about the, the time where she was lining up with you for, uh, <laughs> yes, JK Rowling. And yes. So Vanessa would love to know if you really would have dived in front of JK Rowling if Beth Revis was about to throw up from excitement. Absolutely you- not. I would have put as much distance between myself <laughs> and Beth as humanly possible. You understand she looked actually green, and I was like, Beth, don't you dare. Don't you dare take this moment from me. But no, I would not dive bomb for any vomit coming out of anyone. The security team probably would have dive bombed Beth had she done that. Oh my God. have been handled. Um, but I was giving Beth such a death glare as we moved through that line because I just, I saw her going green about the gills. Oh my god, you guys are the cutest besties. I'm not even kidding. You guys are so cute. I love you both. And I love that you're straight up and you're like, hell no, I would not, not have dived in. Hell no. World. I really hate vomit. It's like one of my <laughs> things that I just like can't, I can't, I literally can't stomach it. All right. Well, I appreciate that realness. I do. And, and that's truthful I right there. Her. I love her. But, but not that much. I- I have limits. Okay, done and done. I think that's fair enough. You have your boundaries. You got to set it, okay? Seriously. I take the rolling to be like associating me with the vomit. <laughs> like I got to preserve. I got to preserve any chance I have at that friendship. Oh my God, yes. Oh my God, that's amazing. Okay, fair enough. I agree with you. I I would, I would probably have done the same thing that you would do. Um, now, R- Rachel would love to know. Oh, actually, no, before we jump into Rachel. Yeah. Um, Vanessa would also like to know, do you listen to the podcast called My Favorite Murder? I just started listening to it. Oh, I my gosh. I to listen to it sooner because I really love serial killers. It's kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm assuming she knows this, which is why she asked you. With serial killers. Okay, and- that's a, that's awesome. I mean, I'm not like fascinated with them. Like I've got a like scrapbook. I'm just fascinated <laughs> from a psychology perspective. Yes. Of- what drives people to like, I'm fascinated by sociopaths and psychopaths and serial killers. The psychopath test, if you haven't read it, is one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. Ooh, I should probably check it's that by out. by John Ronson. And okay. it's who did like, so you've been publicly shamed and uh, men who stare at goats and all these things. But the psychopath test was eye opening. No, I just started, just started listening to it. I had to burn through S town last week. Oh, I heard S-Town. Okay, so I heard, wait, I listened to the first episode, but I didn't get past the first episode. 
got to. Okay. 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 I know. I know. I know. It's like number one on the charts and it's like massive. So I need to, I need to. Episode two. And by the end of episode two, if you're not hooked, then you don't have to, but something happened. Girl, I was hooked. I was hooked by the first one. I just felt like, uh, it was a little draggy the first episode, but to be honest, it totally changes course. Okay. Okay. Done. I, I will, I yeah. will get into this. I know but I was my talking favorite murder. I actually need to just go to episode two. Cause similarly episode one was super draggy. Cause okay. they're basically just introducing why they're doing the show. And I'm like, I don't care about that. Get to the serial killers. Okay. Um, done. So you haven't had, you haven't gone past the first one no. the, for the second episode. Cause Vanessa wanted to know if you had a favorite murder. No. Okay. I mean, damn. Okay. I asked I'm, you too soon. Yeah, it was I'm my fault. Like a scrapbook fan. <laughs> of serial killers i'm just morbidly like i have a morbidity issue and i'm fascinated by what makes people do horrible things yes i mean i think i think fair enough we all are right i mean hello i mean i'm like also so hardcore hanagram like i am all up in the hannibal will graham oh my god that's amazing do you you know of um i'm assuming you obviously know jeffrey dahmer then am i i think that was his i mean he's huge he was a he was a whole worldwide phenomenon and the whole country was obsessed with him and wondering what made him tick and why he was able to do what he was doing and what was the reason behind it so it's not just you don't worry it's like the rest no no there's a reason that two like 20 something girls have a an entire podcast called my favorite murder i mean yes you would think right i actually was really disturbed because my very first book was called the near witch and was just like this tiny little fairy tale set on the english moors and then someone was like but what about the moor murders and i was like what and i made the mistake of looking it up and it was one of the most disturbing murder like one of the most disturbing serial killer pairs moors like m-o-o-r oh Um, in England where like children were taken and then buried out on the English moors. And what I just the was fu- like, no. were they buried alive or what? No, they were they murdered were, first. Like, they were like tortured and murdered first. <gasps> what the f- are you they were, like f- five, like 10 year old. How um, many of them? Like, like five. What the fuck? Wait, did they find yeah. out who did this? Yeah. yeah. And there was like a couple. What? It was like, like it I'm, was really, really dark. Hold on, I'm Googling it right now. Wait, I'm, I'm assuming to, it's like a married couple. They didn't have yeah, children yeah. and they wanted children and then this is no, their no, way. No, they like, they like, like took children and like tortured them and then buried them, like hid the bodies. What on the, the fucking but, shit? Like them, exi- like them, like wanting children and then living out these fantasies. Like they took the children not to like keep the children. They took the children to kill the children. <gasps> and it was oh. like a really- couple what was really weirdly disturbed when it's a couple it's so weird oh you know i heard about um there was a hitchhiker situation this was in america years ago where there's one lady that she was pregnant but Uh they killed the person that picked them up as hitchhikers and they were both in on it and they enjoyed it so disturbing i was like what i'm just i don't understand that i think it scares me because it's two people who are in love and they're probably their most they're the thing that they have most in common is their thrill and love and fascination for murder and then i'm like how did you guys even end up together yeah i'm like how do you did one convince the other because that's what i wonder too i'm like there's no way because i feel like in this whole world for people to actually go through like i'm sure if you're pissed off you're gonna think like oh my god i want to kill my boss you know but a passion crime like this was something they did multiple times like one time is a passion crime 
multiple times is like, you're a serial killer. Yes. And like, I, the, the fact is that the two of them actually found each other is so, really weird. And I wonder... I like, I love stuff like Dexter because I just love... Yeah, the, like, I used to watch Dexter, because, yes. Because, of course, me at, like, 15, this says something about me at 15, was like, <laughs> if I were to become a serial killer, what would my parameters be? Because, like, every serial killer has parameters. And the yes. thing that I loved about Dexter is, like, that's kind of what I would do. Like, if I had that urge you can't slake, then I yes. would go for bad people. Yes, yes. You know, like, at least be doing a public good. Yes, I'm the same way. A, series by dan wells a really great book series that's about a teenage serial like a, a kid who has that gene who has that like that urge and how do you how do you exist in the world without killing people when that's your desire <laughs> oh my god i feel like i would be the same right like in that same category not even kidding i'm like thinking about it and imagining myself in like what would your parameters be yes that is so true oh my god is it any different from me killing the snails oh my yes, gosh different from you killing the snails. oh my god i'm like having trauma <laughs> like post-traumatic no, stress why we're friends now see there we go oh my god oh my god wait no it just loaded on goodreads the moors murders so it's um. moors plural and murders plural and and they were carried out by oh god they even just look crazy by <laughs> mira henley in the 1960s in Manchester, England, they were five children between the ages of 10 and 17. What? And they were sexually assaulted first. So this is not some oh, parent sh- child, like fake child shit. <gasps> uh, they were found in graves dug in, on the Saddleworth Moor. What the fuck? So like they were really messed up killings. But I didn't even know about these. Yeah, the characterized by the press is the most evil woman in Britain. Oh my god. A woman. But like, oh, because Brady was declared criminally insane. Okay. Okay. So Holy they were like a messed up pairing. But anyway, I didn't even know about these. And then I do the thing where it's not that I actually like learning about them, but I can't not learn about them once I've yes. heard of it. Yes, and so in the same way. Someone brought this to me because my book is set on the English Moors, and then I like read everything, and the Wikipedia is like super long, and I couldn't stop reading it. And oh, I was like, no. Oh. I bet you were into that Black Dahlia stuff. The Black I Dahlia? I by all of it. Like, There's what was the one that they were? Is the Black Dahlia the one where they slice the face like from one side to the other? Oh my god, I think so. Right? It was that. Oh my yeah, god, I'm so fascinated by this. Oh stuff my god, I, this is the thing. I think it's like a rabbit hole for me. Where I once I start getting into it, I keep reading more and more, and I'm like, oh my god, now I'm gonna have nightmares and yeah. and post traumatic okay, stress. If you're, if you're in nightmares, do not look up the Moore's murders. Yeah, I don't think I, I think I think there's something about it. It's so weird for me it's because I feel kid. like That's killing, weird. killing, but then there's also sexual. Yeah, I'm like, you gotta pick one. Like, I don't know. Like, I get. I, I feel like. Like Dexter should be killing for retribution because I'm totally would be a revenge killer. Like yes. if someone messed with people that I cared about, yes. I'd be all about the revenge. Yo, me too. I'm like, yo, death penalty all the fucking way. I am I, not I about that whole no death penalty stuff. Like sort uh-uh. that shit out. No. But I understand the killing just for the kill. Like yes. I'm a person who like you want to have on your friend list for yes. like when you've got to dispose of a body. Yes. Because <laughs> you don't spook super easily. Or I'm really good for like a zombie team because I also my friends discovered like decided this a couple weeks ago. I probably would be good on a zombie team because I think I could kill a living person. Like <laughs> morally if you needed like a living person killed and you had physical issues like I could do it. But I need a reason. Yes. 
Like, yes, I just everything. Like, you see, it's like you. Kill them. You need intention. Like it's like when you're watching your shows on your computer, exactly. you need to watch with intent. You need to do it yeah. with a purpose, you know, like you said. Like, put me in a room with people who had like kicked a dog. I would kill them. Easily. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I'm a firm believer. Like if I, I, I think I decided in the end that that was my. Parameter. Like, it would pick out my parameter was I would pick people who had been animal abusers. <laughs> I feel like you're like one of my best friends. She's the same <laughs> way. She legit. This the snails gave us this. I know you it's the snails. That. I'm. I'm. It's all. It all started with me walking through that field of yellow flowers. I apologize. Oh little did you know that little you did would I get know. a weird new friend out of it. <laughs> this is amazing. I love it. It's just our bond over murders yeah. and <laughs> and serial killers and snails. And food. Yes, and also Pop about pigs and octopus. <laughs> you know all about that. But it's amazing. Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna squeeze in Kelsey's question for okay. you because it also kind of wraps up two other people's questions. So Kelsey okay. Ford, she said, eek, one of my all-time favorite authors. This is Aww. so exciting. I'd love to hear her story of how she got her literary agent, how long she had to query, and tips for staying sane in that process. Oh, and yeah. along the same lines, um, while you're answering this, Rihanna, Rihanna Winningham asked a similar question about landing a literary agent, and she'd also love to know about your publishing journey from getting an yeah. agent to signing a deal. And she's also super excited to hear your episode. Aw, you guys, you have like the best listeners. I, they're loving, man. They're all about love. I, I'm very lucky. I don't know how we lucked out with them, but they got a lot of love, and you can tell the same way. And that I have, I have some of the best readers. Like in terms of because of that transparency and that positivity community. You see. There we so go. We just have a good overlap. I think um, so. It's like a Venn diagram. That's what I'm looking at. I'm picturing a yeah. Venn diagram right now. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm totally about, so, about to cut you off. But yeah. Basically, I didn't actually try writing a book until college, which uh, a lot of writers like have been writing books since they were 10 or 12 or whatever. I started out in poetry uh, and I went from there to short fiction and I was intent on trying everything possible aside from book length fiction because I don't have that kind of attention span. Um, and it just seemed like a lot of energy and I wasn't confident I could do it. And so I tried and I tried, um, screenwriting and narrative nonfiction and essays and continue with the poems. And I was a sophomore in college when I realized that the reason I wasn't trying to write a book was because I was afraid. I was Mm -hmm. afraid that I would fail. I was afraid that I wouldn't have the focus. I wouldn't be able to do it. And I have a very adversarial nature when it comes to fear. I get angry. And so when I realized I had a fear of heights, I jumped out of an airplane. And when I realized I had a fear of change, I chopped off all my hair. And when I realized I had a fear of being away from home, I backpacked through Europe. And when I realized I had a fear of writing a book, I decided to sit down and write a book. And my first book, I wrote it over the course of about six months, and it was legitimately terrible, as every first book should be. I'm very suspicious when people first book they claim is good or it is good. I don't know. But I I think that that first book is a learning process, right? Mm -hmm. And I, but I was a poet. And so my book was very, very bad and it had no plot, but it did have poetry. It was quite pretty. The lyric, like it had a lyrical sentences anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's important because I would revise it and I would try to get an agent with it and nobody would be interested, right? Mm -hmm. And then... I um, entered, this is still as a sophomore, I entered on a whim a contest 
on a blog called Nathan Bransford, who was a literary agent at the time, would host these contests about, so after like six months of revising it, I was like, this isn't going anywhere, and I shelved it. And then he had this contest up, and there was about an hour until the contest was going to end, and it was a dialogue contest. You could submit 250 words of dialogue. And it's something I'm quite confident in is my dialogue. I like dialogue, and I had this quirky as hell scene in my quirky as hell book that had no plot, <laughs> but was very pretty. And I thought, what the hell? So I end up, there's already 600 entries, right? And I end up dropping in um, 250 words of dialogue from this book that I was had written called The Shadow Mile, uh, which was basically Alice in Wonderland if Alice in Wonderland had even less plot and was set in the land of the dead. Nice. It, was, it had cool aspects to it, but it was not a book. It was a weird little acid trip experience. And anyway, and so the Nathan Bransford picked the top three, and I was one of the top three. And the the reward for that was if you were the top three, he would critique your query letter. Query letter Ooh. being the pitch that you write, you know? Side note, when you're writing query letters, for those who are writers, um, sorry, I'm like, I'm like laying down now as I talk, and I feel like it's making me slower and more relaxed. <laughs> That's perfect. Like I love it. Down in my chair. Um, when you're writing a query letter, I think the most important thing to think of is the jacket copy on a book. Mm. Never tell more than the jacket copy on a book will. You're trying to entice an agent to read it, to ask more. You do not need to talk about subplots. You need not talk about secondary characters. You pick up a book that you like, find go find a book that has good jacket copy, and you will notice it does not tell you very much. Mm. That is what you're doing. Um, I read for an agency for a summer just out of curiosity to see how query letters were coming in from other people. And the biggest issues that I saw were people not being specific, trying to create those sweeping, and then everything goes horribly wrong statements, or telling way too much, like a summary style information. That's not what you're doing. You have two to three paragraphs to write the jacket copy, the like sellable, super intriguing copy of your book. Anyway, so I, as a top three contestant in this contest, he offered to look at my query letter. And I had like shelved this book at this point, but I pulled out the query letter and I sent it to him. And he was like, oh, I'll look at the pages for this. And it was the first time I was like, oh crap, maybe I should send this to some other agents too. And I did. And this is where the, this is where it gets complicated. I was very young. I was 19. And I cared more about being published than I did about how I was published. Mm. So I took, I went with the very first agent who offered to me. Um, she was young. She was very passionate at the time. Um, very talented, but I was in a hurry. And I say that it's, it's complicated because I do not regret going with this agent, but I also, if I had had 10 years of retrospect and any form of self-control, I would have, I would have taken the time and written another book first, mm. you know, but instead I got my very first agent at 19 and this book went on sub and it would get all the way up the food chain to acquisitions at four different publishers and it would fail every time for nine months. Mm. Um, and I was emotionally drained after it. And I stopped. I was a college uh, student, double majoring, just, you know, switching things around all the time, taking as many units as possible. And I didn't have time for it. And so I was exhausted by the fact that I kept failing. So I went back to looking, focusing on school. And then I was a second semester senior when I realized that I was afraid again of not having written a, a book that sold. I didn't want to feel like a fluke. You know, one time is a fluke. 
And so I decided this was a moment where I was either going to not write and I would come back to this maybe 10, 15, 20 years later after having a career in something else, or I was going to sit down, I was going to get my shit together and I was going to try again. And so I was a, by this point, I moved out of astrophysics and through four other programs and I was in marketing and design because my parents were like, dear God, just graduate. And so I was in studio space, like 16 hours a day. It was very intense because I had had to catch up on so much of the art school work. And I decided to take it seriously. So there was a coffee shop across the street that closed at 11. Every single night, seven nights a week for three months, I checked out of my studio space and walked across the street and sat down at a table and wrote for two solid hours. I carved Mm. out that time. I made the time for something that was important to me. And over the course of those three months, I wrote the skeleton draft of what would become The Near Witch, which was my very first book. And it went on sub to, um, it went out on sub to publishers the week I graduated college. And my parents were lucky enough to give me that summer. I was like, just give me the summer to see if it sells. So September 1st rolls around, it hasn't sold. My parents are like, hey. (laughs) And then on September 2nd, it sold. Holy crap. And um, and it sold to Disney. And I was baby, baby author. And essentially, I ended up rewriting the entire book after it sold to Disney because it wasn't a book. It was a, it was a skeleton draft of an idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my first publication. And it would take me nine more months to leave the agent, even though it was not a good relationship. Uh, I had been bonded with that agent. I was young. She was young. We were connected. We had been through a lot together. And then about almost a year later, I would fire that agent. And mm, the man. same that I finally worked with the courage to fire her, you know, from the movie industry, yeah. well, it's very, very scary. Yeah. Um, and the same day that I fired her, I queried my six dream agents at this point because I had done it wrong the first time. I wasn't about to do it wrong the second And I did it wrong. I sent them a hundred pages of a sequel to The Near Witch. Now, there is no sequel to The Near Witch. Disney decided not to publish it. But I was writing one at the time because Disney had told me to. And um, I sent out, like, no sellable project for this new agent. Literally just a hundred pages. And, hey, I'm being published by Disney. It's amazing that any of these agents took me seriously. But all six offered. And I ended up signing with Holly Root at Waxman Agency. And Holly and I have been together for just about seven years now. Damn, long term. 16 books for me in those seven years. One of the best things that Holly did was we sat down together right after she signed. And she said, let's talk about your career. Who do you want to be? Where do you want to be? This was an agent, and this is why I went with her. I wanted an agent who could take a long con vision for my life. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to be a full-time author. I'm going to make this work. And I was I was bored out of my mind at the time. I was a fast writer at the time. And I'm not a fast writer anymore. It turns out there's like lots of distractions to being an actual <laughs> author. But at the time, I was a fast writer, and I had this very slow publication schedule. And Holly said, give it three years, and I guarantee you will never be bored again. And sure enough, within three years, I had three publishers. Jesus. And Holly had delivered on every one of her promises. She's not, the thing I love about her, she's not an over-promiser. 
She will never promise you something she's not absolutely confident she can deliver on. And so I don't trust people who, and you know, I mean, I know this from LA and you know this from LA. It's very, very popular to talk through the moon. Yeah. And then, you know, yes means no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These different things. And I wanted a realist. Holly is brilliant. Graduated college at 18. What? Yeah. Like, um, holy shit. With two different powerhouse agencies, I think Trident and William Morris. Oh, wait, yeah. she wasn't. Wait, was she a talent agent? Because William Morris is huge for actors. Or was no, she literary the, section? Literary in- <gasps> what? Um, and she is brilliant. And she's incredible. And like I say, we've been together for a super long time now. And I trust her with my entire career. But she was not my first agent. I did not do it right the first time. I made numerous mistakes along the way. And I was extremely impatient to be published. So mm. you make the mistakes at one end or the other. You know, I just made a lot of mistakes early on. Damn, that was so good. And by the way, you just totally like, without even realizing it, I did, I wasn't aware of Holly Root before. Um, And now I'm like, I need to talk to her. I need to talk to this woman because she sounds like one of those very rare, hard to find agents who really invest in you as human beings and not just as an object or, 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 or money. She invests in her author's for their entire careers. She helps them plan for their entire careers. Oh my God. I need to have her on the show. Like this woman sounds like she cares about people. She really does. West coast. She is. She's LA. Oh my God. Okay. You just literally just pitched your agent to be on the show. And I'm like, now I'm like, I'm going to go after this woman. She'll be like, damn it, Victoria. Woman, I ain't got no time. I don't want to be talking on no show. And they're like, I want to be another Victoria. And she's like, I literally do not have time for more than one Victoria. (laughs) Oh my God. Her work. So bless her. Like the fact that she puts up with me, I make this agent work. So (laughs) Because I'm constantly, I believe in having 10 irons in the fire because nine of them will fail, but I want to have one succeed. I love that. And like, bless her for never telling me no. (laughs) She challenges me and she pushes back, but she's an agent who puts the author's career over the money. She puts the author's career over the now. She's just incredible. Holy shit, dude! She sounds like a diamond. I diamond. I don't think she's I've ever a unicorn. Yeah, she's a legit shiny unicorn made out she's of diamonds. I have never heard of somebody talk talk about their agent that way, and I'm just I just fell in love with her, and I feel like she <laughs> needs I'm to. Realist. I'm not someone who just looks at like I don't look at anything these days with rose colored glasses. I can't afford to. Yeah, um, but like this is like I am a very very firm believer in this agent. You both are perfect, perfect representations of our values here on the podcast and what our show is about. And like literally just everything that you've talked about, how you talk about what you talk about, your transparency, and then how you also talk about your agent is just truly what we it completely aligns with what this show is about. Like, I'm not even kidding. Not even kidding. So thank you for that. You are so amazing. Um, And do you mind letting me squeeze in Kelsey's second part of her question? It'll be the last one of the listener questions. I swear to you. Um, Okay. So Kelsey, she'd love to know along with Rachel Bishop, who's asking about world building advice, but Kelsey specifically was, do you, character build or world build first? Um, I world build 
at always first for me. Setting is a character. Ah. Um, setting is the very first character and it's the foundation on which everything else is set. And that comes down to the fact that I write my outsiders as protagonists. And in order to write a strong outsider from a society, you really have to understand the insiders. And in order to understand the insiders, you have to understand the world that they fit so neatly inside. So for me, I broad stroke all of the world building before I write anybody into it. I populate the world after I design it. Damn. Okay. That's <laughs> pretty awesome. Um, also, I mean, it's totally random and I, it's not, does not work for many people. But for me, it's essential mm-hmm. to understand the rules of the world because that's like, I don't understand. I guess for me, again, it's personal, but I don't understand how people can design characters that aren't part and parcel of the world that they're building. Yeah. Because characters are just like the rest of us are the product of our environment. We do not exist in a void. And I think so often that can be why you get that little bit of separation feel when you're reading something where the characters seem to be floating on top of the world instead of part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's when I usually suspect that the author has not grounded their characters and their environment has not made sure that these people are believably products of their environment. Mm. There we go. Dropping knowledge bombs. There she goes again. It's it's clearly, it's like just so natural for you. Damn. All right. Well, Kelsey did finish up by saying that you've mastered writing multiple points of views so beautifully. And she wrote in capital letters, yay, with lots of whys. Can't wait to listen. She loves your book so, so, so much. So I just had to finish that part of her questions for you. Thank you so much for that. Um, uh, You, oh, holy shit. We're in three hours in. Holy moly. Thank you so much for all your time. Seriously, I'm going to wrap it up now and let us know where if there's any books that you recommend that that listeners to check out that you love, that you want them to have in their lives and hold dear. Um, yeah. Let them know. I know that's, it's hard. It's so freaking, especially so reading hundreds of books like a year. Holy crap. I mean, so there's a nonfiction book I want everyone to read at some point if they haven't. I'm not going to do a very good job of pitching it. So I just want you to just trust me. Um, It's called Lab Girl. It is a nonfiction set of essays by um, a world famous female uh, botanist, I think. But she's assessing the world and mental health and identity and wrapping them all in these metaphors of what she studies through the natural world. And, And like through trees and this idea that trees every seed for many trees can last up to 2000 years and only gets to sprout once. And like it has to choose when it does that. And this notion of safety and doubt and challenge. And it's just like the most beautiful, I don't know it. I read it last year and it became the most impactful book I read all year. And I cannot fully articulate why. So I've just been asking people to trust me. Um, Damn. Okay. Beautiful musings on the natural world and on, psychology and on our place in the universe wow all right well you sold it you already pitched it very beautifully (laughs) of course not surprisingly um we're gonna pick up that book for sure Uh, we're gonna list that also in your show notes page so that people can look for it and let us know final final question where can we find you on social media to say hi and thank you for an incredible three hours 
and say hi. Well, come find me on Twitter. I'm just V.E. Schwab, V-E-S-C-H-W-A-B, and come say hi. And then same thing on Instagram. Come see my cat and my bookshelves. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jealous worthy photos. I yes. am so excited. Holy crap, Victoria. Thank you so much. Seriously. Uh, that was an awesome over three hours. Yeah. And girl, I'm so worried about your chili. You need to uh, check on your turkey. Fine. It'll be fine. Also, I'm just so glad I made a new friend. I know. I feel the same. Seriously. I genuinely mean I've meant every word that I said. I really feel I like lightly. Uh, me too. I really oh. feel like we just like completely reconnected from another life. And again, like family or something. It's um, crazy. Right? It's so weird. It's so in a beautiful way. It's a beautifully no, weird. Like the life has only given me that a handful of times. And so I've learned to just be incredibly appreciative of it. Uh, thank you for <laughs> that. Girl, you're going to make me cry now. I got to lift up my glasses and wipe away my tears. Thanks a lot. Jeez. Well, look, Man. Well, okay. I'm going to go eat chili. Go eat chili. And I will connect with you via email. Okay, done and done. We'll do that. And give your cat a big hug for me and tell him that I loved his cameos. It was awesome. Oh my God, that obnoxious. <laughs> All right, you guys have a great day. Thank you so much. And please enjoy your dinner. I cannot believe it's so late for you right now. Go eat, please, please, please. <laughs> oh my gosh. And let me know how that chili turns out. I hope it didn't oh, sure. fully evaporate. I'm sure it'll be amazing. <sighs> I'm like only worried that I became less articulate as I went on because I got hungry. <laughs> no, it was incredible, <laughs> truly. I mean, stop it. You're making everybody else jealous, including myself. So thank you so much, of honestly, course. from the bottom of my heart. And your podcast. you are my new friend. I'm serious. Yes. We're going to make this happen. We're going to hang out in yes. L.A. when we're both in L.A. at the same time. We're going to make this happen. Yes. Seriously, okay? Absolutely. You have a great night. You too. You too. Okay, I'll talk to you soon via email. All right, great. Bye. 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 And that wraps up our episode with V.E. Schwab. Victoria, I adore you. You are one of my favorite humans, as you already know, and I am so grateful to this podcast for bringing us together. Storytellers, thank you so much for hanging out and listening in, as always, especially for this three-hour conversation. Please be sure to follow V.E. Schwab on Twitter if you aren't already. She's over at twitter.com slash V.E. Schwab. At the top of the show, I was so excited to announce that FabFitFun sponsored today's episode. I recently received their summer box, and as soon as I saw the beautifully designed box with pops of yellow, lilac, and orange, I had the biggest smile on my face. It's filled with awesome products like this crazy new device that cleans your face while it measures your skin hydration level. My absolute favorite item that I'm now using every single time I wash my hair is this spray that protects your hair from up to 450 degrees of heat. Most of y'all know that I bleached the hell out of my hair when I tried turning it platinum silver and now my hair is so damaged. So I've been using the spray every time I blow dry my hair and it really helps. One extra special touch that I love is FabFitFun's very own newsletter. There's a section in there that features favorite summer memories and it made me so nostalgic about my own travels and annual road trips and camping trips. FabFitFun's seasonal subscription box is normally $49.99, but our community of storytellers get to save $10 off your first box by using the code T at checkout over at FabFitFun.com. When you treat yourself to a box using the code T, you're also showing your support for 88 cups of tea. Don't forget to check out FabFitFun.com for more details. You can find 88 cups of tea on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Come over and chat with us and write a review about us at Apple Podcasts. Please hit the subscribe button. From what I hear, the more listeners we have subscribed and write a review, the better it is for us to reach more people, which is so helpful for the show and for all of us and for new listeners who are looking for inspiration. And if you'd love to gift a financial contribution to keep the show strong, head over to 88cupsoftea.com slash support. Have a wonderful and super productive rest of your week, and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.